Knockback is brought to you by thousands of supporters on Patreon at patreon.com slash Stand. If you want to show your support for Knockback, as well as CLS's PlayStation podcast, Sacred Symbols, the eclectic interview series, Fireside Chats, and the YouTube gaming series, SideQuest, please consider going to Patreon and pledging for a monthly amount that makes the most sense for you. Your Patreon support doesn't only ensure that CLS continues to produce the content you love, like Knockback, but you can get cool perks, too, depending on your level of support. You can get early access to each episode of Fireside Chats, Sacred Symbols, and Knockback, totally ad-free. You can vote for show topics and provide feedback to be read on air. You can listen to exclusive podcasts only available to patrons, and much more. Your support is essential if Colin's Last Stand is to continue well into the future, so please consider showing some love. Again, that's patreon.com slash Stand. Thank you for your kindness, generosity, and support. Without you, CLS wouldn't exist. But enough of that. On to the show. Greetings and salutations. Welcome back to Knockback. My name is Colin Moriarty. I'm joined as always by my brother, Dagan, Mr. Moriarty. Dagan, how are you today? We don't need no education. Ding, 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 ding. I put that song forth as maybe the best song ever created. Did we talk about this? Yeah, that's a pretty weak uh, thing that you just said. That's not even one of the strongest four probably Pink Floyd records. Wait a second. (laughs) <laughs> oh my god that might be my favorite song of all time that's a pretty late pink floyd record that's a uh, 1978 i think right the wall 1979 even. i wasn't even born yet no you were not born until 88 <laughs> you're you're but a, a man of 31 dagan today's episode of knockback is about our favorite teachers and i think this is obviously i can't believe we haven't done this episode actually i like to call it hot for teacher hot for <laughs> <laughs> that that song's probably better Should than than another brick in the wall part no, two. My God. I'm doing the sign of the cross. <laughs> Holy I'm doing moly! The sign of the cross. God help us all. <laughs> Digging, how are you today? I'm doing good, my friend. I should say tonight. It's like midnight. Tonight is it that late? Oh, it's only eleven twenty-one. Oh, the night is but a pup. I know. I mean, this is nothing for us. But we're gonna go see. Before we forget to mention, yeah. we're gonna go see the waitress tonight. We are the waitress that doesn't remember us. Nope. Uh, she will almost certainly not remember us tonight. She hates us. She does hate us. You know what? I, I hate why. her. Fuck her. Oh, that was a little harsh, huh? I hope she doesn't listen to the show. Holy moly. That was a little mean. <laughs> that was a little mean of me. Dig, I'm excited about this episode. I can't believe, like I said, I, I just can't believe we haven't done this episode yet. When I was coming up with the topics for Wave 9, these are my topics that we're doing this time. I was looking through and I'm like, I can't believe we haven't. I just can't believe this. Is, this can't possibly be right. We've talked about our favorite teachers, and but we've we talked have. about recess and other things, but we've not talked in a, in a really organized way about the... Uh, the elementary, middle school, and high school teachers, that meant a lot to us. And and there's some pretty instrumental people in our lives, including one teacher in particular that was a very important teacher to both of us in high yes, school. yeah. Many years apart. Absolutely. We went to high school 25 years apart, which is unbelievable. We you're you're, you're in your 70s now. I feel, I only feel like it. But, uh, Dig, before we get into all of that, by the way, we have a lot of submissions from the audience for we this do? one. We do? Oh, which, that's cool. And, and I'm going to steer our, our conversation completely around what the audience has to say, because I think that through all the questions and the comments they bring up, we will touch on pretty much everybody that we have to talk about. I, I like think. that. And then we can always clean up if we have some people that we feel like had not gotten, had gotten short shrift, let's say. Hey, guys and girls, thanks for actually writing in this time. I know. We were, we were, we're Big disappointment in the Rosemary's baby. I, we, I, we almost, I almost quit. We almost stopped now. We almost stopped doing the show. And, you know, sometimes it's good to go out on top. Like George goes out on top. Absolutely. With Kruger. Sometimes you just got to sometimes you just got to go out on top. <laughs> Leave them wanting more, my friend. Exactly. But yeah, we, we, this is a reference or what Dagan was referencing was our Rosemary's baby episode in which one we got one submission, which I think is a record, a record low, actually, for our show. 
That's because none of you. I'm sorry. I'm sorry, guys. Maybe if we did a Guardians of the Galaxy episode, oh. you absolute nerds. Ew. Ew. <laughs> but we were, we only talk about good movies on the show. Actually, the, oh, o- the only time we ever talk about bad movies seems to be when you guys vote for them, which is a little which is a little oh. weird, right? That's why we have to talk about Phantom Menace this time. Thanks, guys. Oh, really appreciate. You, really you guys pre- are really punishing us this batch. I couldn't when that one. I'm like, are you kidding? First of all, we would have gotten to that one eventually. I gotta let me just bring this up real bring quick, Dagan. Bring it. I really feel like I've written this a few times on on Patreon, but I don't know that I've said it on the show. I feel like sometimes you guys aren't being clever enough with the things you're voting for for us oh. to do because you guys keep voting on things that we would probably do. This is an opportunity for you to make us do something. Challenge. Now, now I reserve the oppor- I reserve the right to not do something. Right. Right. And certain things have won where I said, no, South Park is a notable one simply because it's not done yet. Can't so do it doesn't it fall within the, the parameters. We like just like we can't do the Simpsons and stuff like that. You know what, though? I didn't think of, we could do a, one of the South Park games. We could in the meantime. Oh, I would love that. Have you, played, have you played either of the no, RPGs? But stick, stick of Truth is on my PS3. Very top of the list. Oh, oh OK. Yeah. it's. I mean, those are great games. And, and we might even be able to. We have to talk to the audience, but we might even be able to just say, like, we'll do seasons one through ten. But what I'm afraid of with that is then that opens us up to like. Once we break the rule. Yeah. Then the rule is broken. Forever. Yeah. No, we can't break the rule. So. I just I feel like, you know, because for people that don't know, Patreon.com slash Collins Last Stand, you could support us there, get early ad free access to all of our shows. And that also gives you the right to submit your questions, comments, concerns, thoughts and ideas. And you get to vote every month on a topic that we do. And I'm always just surprised by what you guys vote on. And I love reading the comments because a lot of the comments are also saying the same thing. Like, why aren't you guys voting for X, Y or Z? Why are we voting for the Phantom Menace? You know what? That one is actually going to be a fun one to talk about. Well, I have some. We're going to talk about some stuff that you guys haven't heard yet. I I, I will say that I'm going to be bold and say that we're going to talk about that movie in a very thoughtful way. We're going to pick it apart. We're not just going to say how much we hate it and leave it at that. We're going to be very. We're going to take a very tactful track. We're actually going to watch it together. We're going to watch it together. And isn't it funny, Dagan, that the first time we saw it was together, together and it was almost 20 years ago it's just a little over 20 wow. years ago to the date that's unbelievable of when we're recording that is this too crazy what well, that was like what wasn't it may 19th 1999 something like that yeah. or May 9th 1999 yeah, yeah. so we're so, recording wow. this in july holy moly that was 20 years ago i mean that, that, how old does that make you feel because at Very that time old. you were in your 40s it's incredible <sighs> man i'm being really mean to you today it's okay i could take i could take it you can take it. I Crying appreciate on that. The inside. But I, but for real, I, I, I'm only kidding with the audience. You guys can vote for whatever you want. But I really feel like you guys aren't leveraging this vote enough. You guys need to think about this a little more strategically because there's all sorts of shit you can vote for. Absolutely. I mean, you can you guys can put up anything you want. So I'm always a little surprised by your choices. But hey, the people have spoken and we are a democracy at, at Collins last time. We are not. Absolutely. We are not a monarchy. We are not even a republic like this here. United <laughs> States. We are indeed a direct democracy, just like the Greeks. Now, Dagan. Well done. Before we get into our favorite teachers, the teachers that touched our lives, of yes. which I have 10. I'm, I'm curious how many you have. Oh, 10? I have 10. Like, and just, we, I think there's only three or four that I really want to spend some time on, but okay. I definitely want to give a shout out to a few a few teachers that definitely touched my life. But before we do that, Dave, let's start with uh, our Riverboat Casino. I like it. I like it. Why do you keep calling it that? Uh, this is called, do you feel lucky, punk? I don't know. Does it bother you that I keep calling it that? No, not at all. I don't, I don't know. know. I just love that. I love the, I just love the riverboat casino. This this <laughs> casino with a big wheel behind it going up the Mississippi River. <laughs> it it's is pretty so cool, interesting, huh? isn't it? It's it is very interesting. I like to call luck be a lady tonight. Wow. How do you like that? That's our second. That's Sinatra, right? 
Is oh, it? I'm sure he sang that. Oh, but who was it originally? It was a show tune. Oh, okay. Oh, who the hell knows? Metallica. Uh, Metallica. <laughs> Metallica sang Luck Be Elite. Snoop Dogg. By the way, did you see Metallica? I don't know where it was. I, I would think it was at a Giants game, a San Francisco Giants game. Okay. That where they where Kurt Headfield and what's the guitarist's name? Oh, God. You know, the guy, I think he's like, is he Hispanic? He's got I the curly so. hair. Yeah. Um, Super they talented. played the Star Spangled Banner before the game, but just on their guitars, and it was so rad, dude. No, when was that? Was that recently? Yeah, it was probably in the last month or oh, so. I want to check that. It out was so cool. Tube. Those guys are just absolutely insane. I'll put it on the tubes. So anyway, Dig. Okay. Let's play. My friend. Are you feeling lucky, punk? And of course, for people that don't know, we've been playing this since Wave 8.5. My luck has not been great, except wow. for the only time I've directly played, in which I went three for four. So. Clearly, Dagan's the arbiter of bad luck. It's, I think it's it's proving out that way, isn't well, it? Yeah, it, it certainly is. And we're finding, you know, he's going through the cards now, trying to organize everything. I want to be a little more thoughtful with the way we go about this, though, Dagan, because I okay. really think we should go from the low percentage stuff to the high percentage stuff okay, in that so order. Go, so you got to start with the coin flip first. Coin flip first this time. And okay. then I think from there we would go to the dice roll. Yep. And then... We could the, do the lucky numbers list. and then the card rolls however, or the card pull, however you want to do it. Yeah, we'll do the card last. This way we'll put the guess the number thing a little earlier. Okay. So we'll put the card thing as the as the largest odds. Okay. All right. Now, what coin you want to start? Give with me the, the same penny that you gave me last oh, time. Oh, the same one? Yep. The old penny. Okay. Let's see here. I got. Very old. tactile with the noise in the mic. I like that. Very nice. Is that good? You know, I really feel like that adds a lot. Of, I really, I'm not even being facetious. I think I was, was I talking to you about it or someone else. Maybe I was talking with Chris. Take that. I can't even remember anything. I probably should stop smoking so much weed. <laughs> but we were talking about how Dustin, our editor, always gets mad or sometimes gets mad. I move around in my seat so much. And Bunty, who, you know, Bunty King, for people that don't know online, an online personality, a buddy of mine that lives in uh, Montreal. I just did an interview with him and he messaged me, he texted me. He's like, are you always moving around in your seat? How do they know? Because I'm, it makes noise. And I'm like, yeah, I just move around in my seat. Oh, but I was saying, like, I think I'm not even being facetious with this all. I think it adds a level of authenticity when there's not an audio gate that like shuts everything off that's coming on going on around the I, I like a little to, bit of immersiveness absolutely you I would tend I mean? to agree with you a little rawness yeah a little, a little raw authenticity if you I will. in fact I think that this you know when when uh Buster Rhyme said uh yeah baby I like it raw I think he was that's what he was talking about absolutely. was the raw audio of a pot of a, a fine podcast great like podcaster so he was a great podcaster great and somehow podcast. he knew about it like 10 years before podcast even started he's a prophet Dig, I'm flipping the coin. Do it. There will be tails. Oh. It's heads. I can see oh, it from here. Oh, no. Has the, I don't really like that bounced off a book that did. before it hit the ground, but I'm going to allow it anyway. But you flipped it. I did flip it. I have no excuses. None. So heads. Am I right? You can see it better it's than heads. I can. Head. I okay, can so zero me. for one for now. So okay. let's go to the die, I guess, next. Okay. Oh, let's do this one. Kyle. You want to do a big one? Let's do the big Give die. The... We have a big die here, Kyle. guys. What would you say? How many inches by how many? What is this? That eight, is a squ It's probably, yeah, I want to say maybe eight inches yeah. by eight inches by eight inches. Yeah. Yeah. It's something. a giant die. A giant foam die. It's blue. Kyle's going to call the number and then he's going to roll the die. Th it's three. Three. Four. Four. Uh, see, now that hit the wire. Huh? You know, I feel like that I'm did. getting a lot of interference here. You know when you used to play wiffle ball and everybody would be like, interference! Interfe everything was interference. Yeah, everything was interference. Like a, the wind blew at the wrong time. <laughs> All we needed was a big open field. Why didn't we have that? That just came. That just came to mind for me for the yeah because 
I was a sure. lefty. I'm a lefty, so I I never pull in our friend Tim and Mike's backyard. I don't know if you remember it, where the, we used to play wiffle ball. There would be a there was a big tree, but okay. only right-handed people would actually pull the ball that way. So there would always be interference on that. Tr- but I never had interference. That's I hilarious. never got the benefit of interference because I was oh. pulling the ball in the other direction. So you can never take a take another like a rebate to hit it further or something. Right. I w- it was such bullshit. You know, like I, I, I that always really bothered me. And, and also, I would always pull the balls left, and they would go into Artie's yard, and then we'd have to jump over the fence. <laughs> Artie. <laughs> Hardy used to crash his Corvettes all the time. Yeah. <laughs> I remember at least two Corvettes wrapped around telephone poles. What was with that guy? He just drove I think he drove I, th- I think he was I I don't want to I don't want to assume. I was going to say drinking and driving, but I don't know uh, that. I don't, I don't know. know that for sure. I don't want to say that. Maybe he was drinking lemonade. 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 He, he he was an interesting cat because his fortune was made off of buses, like public school buses. That's right. Which is so interesting. That's so weird. Yeah, what, we lived in a. There were some pretty wealthy people around us on, in our old neighborhood on Long Island, and it was always interesting how everyone made their money. We we lived next to a pilot and a flight attendant. Yeah. And there was a real estate guy, and yep. there was Artie who made his money in buses. His family was like a busing right, company. Right. Uh, our friends Tim and Mike, his their dad made their money in chemicals and cleaning supplies. And then, I didn't know that. yeah, he owned like a business uh, that sold chemicals. Oh, I thought he was a contractor. No, and like then, builder. and then, uh, the people across the street from us, they, the dad was a lawyer, mm-hmm. so it was a lot of like high-powered individuals around us. But yeah, we used to pull ball. I used to pull balls into Artie's. I was the only left-handed person that ever played in that. So all the balls that went into his yard That's were right. me. Yard, that would have been Artie's yard back then. Right. Yeah. Yeah. On the first baseline. Interference. <laughs> That was such a thing. I know. It's like before the ball even hit anything, someone was screaming interference. <laughs> Just like when you would play basketball and it was like, foul, foul, foul. <laughs> like who's calling foul in street basketball? Are you kidding? All right, Dagan. All right, next is be guessing a number. Yeah, let's guess the number next and then we will. All right, so you, you want to actually, you want to reduce the number because you had one, one in 14 last time, right? So you want to reduce it? I'm going to make it a little smaller because okay. we're going to make the cards the biggest and the cards are only, what did we say? The cards were eight? No, 10. No. Nine. Nine. But I made a 10 this time. I put two Jokers in there. So you could actually guess Joker. Oh, okay. That's the thing. All right, but Kyle, you know what I'm going to do this time? It seems more fair than guessing a number out of my head because I really could just lie about it. I don't think you would do I'm that. Gonna, I would never. But I'm going to write it down and then do the big reveal on this post-it note, okay? Okay. Right. You're becoming a talented sound designer here. ASMR. I don't know what that means. My 12-year-old always says it. Yeah, what does that mean? Is it satisfying noise or just satisfying in general? Audio, sensu- sen- sensitive. Se- I have no idea. Uh, ASM. I hope it's appropriate. No, I think it is. Audio okay. sensitive. I Sensual would be appropriate. Audio sensitive. I don't know. It's what the kids are saying. Yeah. All right, Kyle. Now, I am going to guess a number. I'm going to write on the post-it note. I will, let's say, let's guess a number from one to Five. Let's make it an odd number. Okay. All right. So from one to five, and I will write it on the thing, and I will fold the paper, and then when you guess it, I'll hand it to you, and you can open up the paper. Maybe I could fold it a few more times. So it's take five. A half it's hour five. Time. Five. Okay. Let's Colin see. is now taking the postie. He is unwrapping it. He is looking at the number. Four. Four. So I was trying to cheat by watching you how you I wrote it. I thought you were going to do that. And it looked like you wrote a curve. So I, I, I was like, so I, it uh-huh. has to, it can't be. So I actually ruled four out oh. based on, I ruled one and four out based deceiving. on how you wrote it. Deceiving. So I don't know what the hell you were, like Deception. how you did that. It is. It was very deceptive. Good Maybe I write my numbers wrong. No, that's a, four, that's a good looking four. That's Thank a good you, looking sir. four. Thank you. All right. Now cards. You ready? The cards last. it is. Your luck has really shifted, my friend. I know. It's In one a, night. In a couple of hours. This is why you got to walk out of casinos, man. I've, I've learned that lesson many times. 
walk out while you're ahead. If you're down, just go. Oh, okay. Well, well, like I I think I told you on one of the shows when we started doing this, I have never walked out of a casino with any winnings. All right. All right. And I've been to many casinos and gambled many times. Of these... When was the last time you were in Vegas? I know you you guys used to like to go pretty often. Yeah, know? we go a few times a year. I, probably early in the year. I was there last time. Oh, that's not bad. No. All right. So, Kyle. Yeah. There's one of each. There's two of each suit. And then there's also two jokers. So, there's a... You got to guess. So, there's five different things you could choose here. Okay. You guess. And then I'm going to fan the cards out. You pick a card first. First guess what it's going to be. Then Clubs. All right. He's picking a card. <laughs> what is it? Jack of hearts. Jack of it's hearts. One-eyed, it's one-eyed jack, too. There you go. Let me see. Let me see. Oh. Suicide Kings and One-Eyed Jacks. <laughs> 0 for 4 this time. <sighs> Terrible. 3 for 4 last time. But even the best batters go 0 for 4 sometimes. Absolutely. Even Jeter went 0 for 4. He did. Maybe he'd get a walk in there. He probably, but he, he would probably still be 0 did. for 4. He yeah, he'd get on base. He'd get on base. All right. Well, that wasn't very good. Well, better luck next time, my friend. Can't control it. No whammies. No whammies. No whammies. Stop. <laughs> That's what I'm not telling Dagan to stop. That's literally what you would say when you play press your luck. Absolutely. All right. Dagan. Yes. Our favorite teachers. Let's do it. Now, again, I want to kind of go through our comments, questions, concerns, thoughts and ideas. These are basically just stories and remembrances from our audience for the most part. And I think that by channeling the audience, we'll be able to kind of touch on our stories and talk about things. And I I really would be surprised at the end of this if we had anything to clean up. But you never know. All right. You never know. Let's see how they guide us. Carter Quinn wrote into us on Patreon, just like you can. Hi, Carter. Said, hey, guys. He actually said that. Did he? Yeah, it's uh, H-E-Y-Y-Y-G-U-Y-Y-Y-S-S-S. That's pretty good. Well done. He says, for me, my favorite subject was always history. Oh, no shit. However, some of my favorite teachers fell outside that study. I specifically remember having an English teacher that ignited my love of reading when I was otherwise indifferent. What's your take on the characteristics that make up the good, the bad, and the mediocre of teachers. Teachers in general. Teachers in general. I think this is a great place to start. It's a great place to start. Dagan, what do you think uh, a teacher, just your normal everyday teacher, I don't know that we would necessarily talk about a discipline or a grade, but just generally when you're looking at a teacher, what is or what are some of the qualifiers of the good teacher as opposed to the mediocre teacher as opposed to the bad teacher? Absolutely. Talk to me about this. You know, in my, it's funny that we started here. It is a great place to start. As I recollect and as I recollected and made my notes and thought back and sort of reflected on my schooling years, you know, from kindergarten all the way through college, it seems to me now I had my fair, you know, as many probably do. I did. Unfortunately, I have to say this. I had my fair share of apathetic teachers, you know, the type of teacher that's sort of like seem to especially in looking back because you don't you don't really have this kind of recognition as a kid necessarily but especially looking back sort of did the bare minimum skated along sort of like that cold fish attitude going through the motions type i had i had actually quite a few teachers like that unfortunately not that it made my school experience necessarily necessarily negative because you know during that time i always had you know especially i guess upwards of third grade you had multiple teachers you had friends you had specials there was other aspects to being in school but i did have my fair share of those kind of you know those kind of going through the motions types but i think there's two things that make a teacher great for me is being engaged being truly engaged and i would also say although it may sound a little strange an empathy 
Now, I don't just mean an empathy for being a kid, especially, you know, when you get up to the heart and we'll get there in the conversation, like especially the harder ages where things start to take a turn and you start to become a young adult, like seventh, you know, I would say maybe sixth or seventh grade, that transition, that famous transition where life gets hard and you have all the social pressures and dating and friends and, you know, all that social weight comes along with school, especially public school, I would imagine. But I would say those two things, a true engagement and caring for what you do and, you know, that that sort of engagement and also an empathy. And when I say empathy, it's not necessarily like a sympathy. It's just being there, being in the moment, being available for your student to sort of impart like 100% of yourself. I think that's very important, you know, for a teacher to to do and for a teacher to have that attitude. And, you know, Kyle and I have a lot of teachers in our family. My wife is a high school teacher. Our two sisters are teachers. Our parents both kind of came through teaching. Our cousin is a teacher. We have a, my sister-in-law is a teacher. We have a lot of, te- that, lot of teachers. Our brother-in-law is a principal. Our brother-in-law was a teacher. Now he's administration. So... There's a lot, and I'm probably forgetting people. Did you talk about Jamie? Yeah, or cousin. Okay, cousin, yeah, cousin, yeah. So yeah, a lot, lots of educators. So we have a lot of educators in our family. So you know, and I'm very biased. I, I am very all. I'm all about the plight of teachers and how it's an important job and how it's a difficult job. But I think that's what I think that's the mark of a good teacher. Now, how would you define a good teacher? Kyle? I think it's probably. I think there is a, a level of dependent on the on or dependence on the student on the, on the age, all those kinds of things. Like you said, I think that you have to kind of tear all those things down though and really look at it objectively just from like just a few a few things and i i like the idea of empathy i i really think that a, a big thing to me is is engagement like you were saying that the teachers that kind of pass through i'm of the mind that most teachers and like at least in the united states i think most teachers are don't rise above the level of mediocre i think that that's obvious and yeah, mediocre is a good word and i think that to me Teachers should be a valuable part of society. I actually want to talk to you about a little bit about this because I think that we should value teachers. I think teachers should be paid a certain amount of money. I think certain places pay their teachers too much. I think that there is a ceiling for a teacher's salary. It's a taxpayer paid position. I think teachers that are making six figures, yeah. I think that's a little ridiculous to be perfectly honest with you. I, but I think that 40 or 50 is too low. I think that there is a sweet spot in there where you should you should be pay, making more than the average bear. But I think that our loyal adherence to the te- to teachers in our society and to the importance of them has allowed us to ignore the plight of the chil- of children in, in American schools and that most of them are being done a disservice by teachers that don't care that aren't especially talented that aren't especially engaged that don't belong there that should have long ago been fired I think that teaching in the United States a lot of it is very protective I think that they that a lot of people protect each other I think it's impossible or really hard to fire people I think it's hard to have quality oriented goals and metrics if you were if you worked in if if you were a person at work that like fucking ebay right, right in silicon valley sure and you got three years worth of mediocre reviews you'd be fired you'd be done right if, right. if you had peer reviews or whatever customer reviews and you were a mediocre employee you'd be out on your ass in a business right why is that not the case in teaching you're that's talk- a big problem you're referring to teachers unions not only teachers unions just generally speaking why are schools full of so many mediocre teachers yeah. when there's so many people teaching yep. and there are so many people eager to be in the classroom to teach? And yet these 70 year old fucking fossils that couldn't give a shit less that went to college in the 60s yeah. are teaching our young people. Yeah. No, I don't think so. That's a little weird. And so I think that our kids has our kids have an elementary school teacher who I believe is in our 80s. That's absurd. 
that, that, that person on. that person should have been forced to retire 15 years dude. ago she of course loves, she loves her she salary loves she probably makes six figures i would love my oh, salary she too. easily makes six figures so 100 you know so i really think that there's a, an interesting balance that needs to be struck between the talents of the teacher and the way they deliver and the results that come from that sure the thing that i think is unfair towards teachers that i think is chronically unfair are disengaged parents shitty parents kids that aren't engaged themselves in school that aren't good students that are bad that that goof off there's a lot of things to balance in that in that equation but i've always been really mystified by this completely static acceptance of teachers just being mediocre yeah when the market would never allow that to happen in any business that is worth anything. So why would we allow the public schools to exist that put everyone into the market, you know, yeah, with their education? Very, that's very interesting. That is. I mean, a lot of it, I think a lot of it, you could say teacher, especially, you know, like, for instance, Virginia doesn't have, that's a right to work state. So there are no teacher unions as far as I know in Virginia. But here in Pennsylvania, we have very powerful teachers unions. Now. There's a dichotomy, though, because I was going to say a lot of the, and in New York, you could say this, too, because teachers are very, uh, you know, teachers are generally very well paid on Long Island, but public school teachers I'm referring to. But what, it, you know, I would say there's a little bit of a dichotomy, though, because I would say what happens is because the salaries would be so low, you want to attract decent, you know, you want to attract decent candidates to the, to fill the teaching positions. So the trade-off is security because you know you're not going to make an exorbitant amount of money. But here in Pennsylvania, especially in the better school districts, they make, you know, you have a chance to make six figures eventually. And you have the protection, you know, and the security of being protected by a powerful teachers union who actually not only protects your job, but also lobby, you know, for right or for wrong, whether you support that or not. I support the teachers union, but also, you know, will lobby for your health insurance, for your benefits when they go to contract every four years. They're the ones, you know, battling for the te the rights of the teachers and the benefits and all that kind of stuff. So it's interesting. It's really interesting. I mean, I always see, you know, for me, it's like, you know, especially in an area like we're lucky enough to live with a school. We have a very good school district and everything like that. The value of the houses are, are fine or great, but you know, you want to have that. You want to have. You want to be in that area where the value of your house is high. You know, partly because you're in a great school district, but you don't want to pay the teachers a lot. That that always seemed like you know an unfair. That's like you know, not wanting to. It's like wanting to have your cake and eat it too type of thing. I think you have to pay. It's just like anything of quality. You have to pay for that. Right. But doesn't that doesn't that mentality mean that all of the best teachers go to the best school districts and all the shitty school districts and the poor school districts get the worst teachers? I think that's why you see so much of a struggle in Philadelphia, for instance, in inner city Philadelphia. You can't you, they can't attract and keep good talent both in teaching and in administration, especially administration, because it's hard The work. Not only the working conditions and all that kind of stuff compared to a more affluent suburb, but. You know, just because the the rate of the the pay is so low, you know they can't afford to pay. Right. Yeah. It's it's a so I mean, yeah that's a problem. Yeah. It's it's an interesting. I don't know the solution to the problem. That's why I'm so in our country in the United States. It's so different than a lot of other places because they have a federal or a national school system or you know a bar in which they have to set you know meet for testing and what people learn. And in the United States, for people that don't know. It's all local and at the most state will run. We have a Department of Education at the federal level. Most or not most, but a lot of people, including me, don't believe it should even exist. Yeah. And 
it's not real. It doesn't really do anything except for just give money to local municipalities that then spend it however they want. Yeah. And I like that because the example I always use is like if you if you're in Cheyenne, Wyoming, I don't know that the your ed, your secondary education should be the same as if you're in New York City. I actually think you probably need to know some different things. Not not everything. Yeah. You should learn your math and your sciences and stuff. But you might take an Aggie course and become an agriculturist. OK. In Wyoming, while you might do something else in New York City that's more relevant to your lived experience. So I actually like the local nature of it. But and I'm, I'm particularly sympathetic, especially because Helene's a public school teacher, but and she does very well and she works very hard. You know, she introduced, you know, she's an art teacher, but she's a fine art teacher in her particular high school. And she, you know, she does a lot. She introduced AP art into the school. She heads that up. She does a lot of extracurricular things. She's busy on weekends hanging art shows. And she's very instrumental in getting her kids into art school, you know, various art schools throughout the country. And she's also very instrumental in having her kids pursue art, you know, sort of in an extracurricular basis, which the school district fortunately is very supportive in so for instance her kids will do work and participate in local town art shows for instance or corporate art shows and she'll get them involved in that and which is great in the capacity for recognition and for them winning awards and for them getting their name out and all that kind of stuff so she's you know it's interesting to see her you know to see her work so hard in what she does but that what i was going to say was it's that's why i feel the worst about bad teachers or even mediocre teachers or teachers that they sort of hurt the good teachers. You know what I mean? They, if you look at, you know, every teacher in a particular school as that's, that's their workforce. The bad teachers are bringing the good teachers down, you know, just like any business, just like any office, whatever it is. The weakest, you're strong as your weakest link. And, and there's weak teachers. You know, so that's a that's a problem. And it's really it's a, it's a tricky issue. It is. It's a, it's a fascinating issue. And it's one I, I take pretty seriously, because, as you said, we come from a family of teachers. And I like to think based on the pedigree of the people in our family, I'm not just saying this because we're related to them, but we have AP teachers in our family. We have people that have been in this a long time that have risen to administration, have PhDs sure. and all that kind of stuff. And I think that at some point you do earn it. But if in a football game your quarterback's getting sacked because the left side of the line is weak over and over again. And they just uh, uh, totally just go out the left side of the line over and over again. Yeah. And the entire team suffers because of that. Well, if I was a third grade history teacher and I was handing off my kids to a shitty fourth or I'm sorry, third period history teacher handing off my kids to a shitty fourth period math teacher, I'd be pretty pissed Yeah. because our values aren't aligned. So I'm not handing them off to someone who treats the kids with the same respect, who has the same values, who instills similar work and work ethic and all those kinds of things into them. And I just simply say that because I remember being in school and I remember that feeling that way. And by the way, me too, you when I said that I had 10 teachers, we're not even talking about college professors here because that could be a whole nother show. Yeah, we're talking about secondary teachers and you were surprised that I can name 10. Yeah, I don't have had dozens of teachers, Dagan. Yeah, if you think about it's interesting fact, actually, if you count up all your teachers, how many would it be? I'll, probably I'll probably quick. 50. I mean, think about that. Like through are you talking through, through high, 12? Yeah. K through 12. And you were surprised that a fifth of them were, were names that yeah, I would bring I up. I don't have that many. So think so think about that. I mean, that's that's the, the proof's in the point. pudding. The truth is there, right? It's we'd all like to think that it that it can be improved. But I really think that part of the reason that our secondary education is so poor in the United States, while our collegiate system is so world class, is because the collegiate system has some sort of bar that seems to be much higher and much more consistent because their whole system 
in colleges of tenure and all that work in a different, completely different way. When you're a, you're a, you know, a, a teacher's assistant or a, a, an adjunct professor and all that, you have to work your way up to being a tenured professor where you're not going to be fired. Right. And then you can go do your research and maybe you become emeritus at some point or something like that. Sure. In the public schools, that's not really the way it works. You, you get in and in New York, you get into the union and then that's the end of that. And then you're there forever. Right. You, you know, I had Dagan. I had some horrifyingly bad teachers at Bellport High School. We like, got to talk about them, too. We don't have to name them by name. We can no. keep it classy. Yeah. But but so I, I know it's uh, yeah, we have teachers that listen to us and I, I, I don't want to make it seem like I'm shitting on all teachers because I'm not. But I think that we need to set the bar higher for what is acceptable education. And if we want better outcomes, then we probably should look at the source of the outcomes. And, I, it, and it can't possibly be I mean, just I th- the kids. No, I think we don't have sh- stupid people in the United States. Yeah, the bar should be set high for such an important role. You know, as as far as like, these are just as important as parents in the formative years of kids, not only in, in imparting all the education stuff and all the scholastic stuff and all that, that kind of thing, but just, you know, and just everything you're teaching a kid as far as being a human being and everything it boils down to manners and how you carry yourself and how you conduct yourself and how you, you know, how you move through the world. It's not just, you know, teaching social studies, math, science, reading, you know, it's other things as well. So... Yeah, I, I do think they should be held to a higher standard. But I do, you know, I, I do think teachers should be rewarded for for that, you know. It's one of those situations. It's funny. We were just talking. We were just listening as we were working to the Eric, the recent Eric Weinstein interview with Joe Rogan. And oh, yeah. Smart just dude. in the background. Yeah, great guy. Really smart. And he had mentioned something about how there basically what he was saying was that there's like sacred knowledge in a sense where. Some people just won't tell the truth about certain things. They just won't do it. And and I really feel like this is one of those things that just that people just won't tell the truth about it. You know, his example was, which was a really interesting example, was that to kind of downplay the AIDS virus specifically in the 80s mm. as being this so-called, quote unquote, gay disease that was plaguing only the gay community that yeah. would eventually make this massive jump into the straight community. And you'd see like an AIDS epidemic in the straight community. But Eric Weinstein was like, that never happened because... It wasn't a plight of gay people. It simply ignored that gay people have sex in a certain way that may, puts them at risk in a greater way. Anal sex. I mean, I'm not trying sure. to be gross in a right. way that many straight couples don't. And so that's not that wasn't ever going to happen. But because there was no because it wasn't dispassionate and objective, we were never able to have that conversation. So we tricked ourselves for 30 years into thinking that was going to happen, but it never did. Right. And I love that kind of conversation where it's like, who's going to have the difficult conversation about teaching in America and education in America that it needs to be reformed because it does. And, and a lot of that happens. It's not even a money situation for me as much as it's a talent situation. The the, the good should the cream to, should rise to the crop. Yeah. And we should have the audacity to tell a 27 year old teacher that's just not very good at it at a college. You're out. Yeah. Go do something else. Yeah. Yeah. This is too important. Or the the 70, 80 year old teacher teaching yeah. kids buy. You would think there they would is want no her out way because they would save a lot of money. Dude, if I had a kid and I found out they had an 80 year old teacher, I'd, I'd, go, kindergarten. I'd go in there and be like, listen, this is this is insane. Yeah, she's hanging on. I, I mean, it's it's to the point I we have, you know, my oldest is going into seventh grade when she she had her for kindergarten eight years ago. And at that time, we were like, what the hell is this lady still doing here? She's still there, dude. And she's there, like, she's the last one to leave that parking lot. I know, because when I take the kids, you know, this time of year we go to the school playground, she, her car is still in the parking lot. Probably because she can't find it. <laughs> but you know what I mean? Where it's like, we, we don't, we don't, 
if she's a really wonderful, engaged teacher, you don't want to necessarily, okay. you know, Joe, Joe Biden is, is running for president. He's like 77 years old and, yeah. and that's old. But I think that he's capable old. of doing the job. So I don't want to be ageist necessarily. Right. But I do want to be talentist. You know what I mean? It's just like I worked in a really competitive field and I work now in a cream and rises to the crop situation where yeah. it's very competitive for people's eyeballs and ears and, and dollars and advertising dollars and all those kinds of things. And then, so, you know, some teachers just walk in and cannot get fired no matter what the fuck yeah, happens. It's true. And that's and that is taxpayer dollars. And that is also a person that is a steward of our children. So. Right. So to me, I'm like, this is way too important to be dicking around like this. And that's why that Eric Weinstein thing was so interesting because he was talking about this forbidden knowledge and these forbidden conversations yeah. that could be offensive to people. And maybe they are offensive. But if corporations ran like that, there would be no corporations in the United States that had any success at all. They'd all I be hear, fucking I hear dead. that point. I mean, that's a good, that's a good, <laughs> it's a good point. It's a good point. I hear what you're saying on that. The thing about about it, though, to me, Dig, is just, yeah, it's just... Uh, I really feel like this con- wouldn't it be nice if this conversation happened and we just couldn't narrow the list down enough, you know, like where it would be an impossible conversation to have. Right. Because there's too many good there's ones. Two, there's, there's just too many good teachers. It's I was lucky in middle school and high school to have one good teacher a year, like one really, one good really one good teacher, yeah. like one memorably good teacher a year. It doesn't even boil down that well for me. Now, you know, I, I went to the same school district throughout my whole career. Your school career is a little more colorful. You went to a few different places. But, you know, unfortunately, we went to, I mean, calling our school district a mediocre school district where I grew up was is kind. Yeah, I would say. It's not. It's maybe not it was a little better then, but it's not good. No, it was. I think it was worse when I went, which is amazing. But yeah, so I don't mean to to, to, la- to belabor the point too much, but I, I think it's just relevant. I like how, I, what I was trying to say was that I owe it to the audience. You owe it to the audience, too. And we do to always tell the truth, like oh, or, how, or how we feel. Absolutely. I always bring up the point of like, I know plenty of people that make games and plenty of people that may have made games that are buddies of mine or friends or acquaintances that made bad games. And it's my job to tell you that the game's bad. Yeah. It's not my job to protect their feelings. You know, it boils down to passion, too. Are you passionate about what you do? Like Helene's a, a very passionate about her job. And she that she imparts that passion to what she does and that caring and that sort of work ethic and wanting to do well by her kids and wanting to make them the best that they can be and all that kind of stuff. And if you know, it's it's funny too, Kyle, not to go off on another side, but I watch a tactic, especially in this school district that we're in, you know, again, very powerful teachers union here, but I watch what they do to teachers that they don't like. First of all, the parents don't, I could see it. Now, I only really witnessed it so far in our elementary school. There's 16 elementary schools in our school district. But in our particular elementary school, where my kids go. My daughter's now graduated from it. My son still goes. They don't, they, the parents aren't having it. If there's like a bad, like I, there was a bad fourth grade teacher that really wasn't good that my, you know, my daughter had, that Lilia had. And also just happens like a couple of people in neighboring cul-de-sacs, like all the local kids had this teacher. And the parents basically got her out just by complaining. Just by saying this teacher is not cutting it, you know, the, the, how can this teacher be amongst all these other wonderful teachers? But what they'll do is also <laughs> I watch it's not funny, but what they'll do is especially with the younger teachers. And it seems to be the younger teachers that aren't, you know, not all of them. Some of them are wonderful, but the ones that aren't like pulling their weight, what they'll do is they'll make them travel between schools like they'll work at three different elementary schools every day. So every day they have to drive between three elementary schools. That's their schedule. So it's almost like a punishment and it's almost like testing their mettle to see if they still want to be in the school district, you know, until that, you know, and also it's a seniority thing. You know, if there's only, if there's only, if 
you know, especially for secondary music and art and all that kind of stuff. If there's not a position, that's what you'll do for a while. Helene did it to get into the school district. You know, she had to float between schools for a while. So there is things that they do, you know, and the parents do, especially in a school district like this, the parents do have a voice as well. You know, and I remember mom and dad being real, like I remember there being teachers, you, you know, teacher strikes, walkouts and all that kind of stuff. And mom and dad were on a very, had a very different stance back then. Oh, they certainly did. And dad, by the very way, anti-teacher. Uh, yeah. And dad, dad is a union guy. Like that, that's the, and he is a union. Guy. Yeah, he is. And that was in the New York city firefighters and is in the New York city firefighters unions were one of the most powerful unions in New York and maybe in the country. And yeah, it's funny. People always say that to me when I have an anti-union something to say. They're like, your dad's in the fucking union. I'm like, dude, that just tells you that I'm telling you the truth. Right. You know, like that's how you feel. Yeah. That like, I'm totally willing to like to say what I need to say. It's funny, though, because to me, I, I just. Again, it just goes back to those market driven forces. I know that that's like kind of a crude way to look at teachers because you want them to be comfortable in a classroom. You want them to have, uh, you know, some sort of rapport with the with the, the parents and, and the system and all that kind of stuff. But I just I wonder how I would feel if I was a kid and I had some of the teachers I had. And, and if I heard some of the teachers or some of the stories that I would bring home from South Country School District. <laughs> You know, I remember when they would were wanted to raise property taxes in, in Bellport and Brookhaven to pay the teachers more. Dad like used to put up signs like be, oh, being like vote no and shit yeah. like that. And they would, by the way, vote no every year. I don't, I don't remember anyone ever voting up South Country School District and paying people more than they were already being paid. But anyway, digging the next letter we have comes from Will Hahn. He says, "My sixth grade teacher is still to this day the best teacher I ever had." Sixth. He was strict and gave our class a lot of shit to do to the point where I got so stressed that I actually cried when I was finishing my final project. But he taught me about organization, perseverance and holding a solid work ethic. He also had a foosball table in his classroom that I used during recess time every day with my peers. And he would occasionally take us to McDonald's during lunchtime on Fridays. Say what you will about grammar school, but I really think that teachers in those grades don't get enough recognition for the work and support they provide for many children at that age, though he certainly did. I will say this about grade school and even middle school to a degree. I actually think that. In my experience, the quality of teacher went down the older I got, with rare exception. Mm, like the older a- I got, I felt more disconnected. Now, that could have been me as well. Hmm. I think kids become dicks at some point. And I think that I feel bad. I was never really mean to teachers or anything like that. But I remember, especially in high school, there being teachers that had bad reputations. And people used to talk shit about them. And I was kind of sad because... You didn't really know where it began. Did it begin because the teacher sucked? Or did it begin because people were mean at him? And then it, like, which way did the cycle go? It, it only went one direction or the other. Yeah. And I, I think about those middle school years as being pretty fertile years for good teachers per capita, considering that I would have only a few teachers every year That's in middle school. You know what I mean? Trend. Very. Yes, I do. Yeah. And my elementary school teachers, I would say two out of three of them were great teachers. Okay. So. Okay. Maybe that's just nostalgia. Maybe I don't even know what the fuck I'm talking about. I mean, like, what do I even know about the quality of education I received in first grade? I have no idea. But I have good memories of those times as opposed to, like, really remembering the bad teachers I had. I remember those, too. So, you know, this guy here, did you put a name in here? No, I don't think you did. You just said my sixth grade teacher. Probably smart. Will. Austin Smith wrote in us and said, I was never really the best student, so I don't have many fond memories from middle school and high school life. There was one exception, though. My seventh grade math and science teacher, Mr. Milney. Milney. I actually put a pronunciation here. Okay. He was hilarious. He was he was missing part of his middle finger. Oh. And I swear and I swear once a week he had a new story about how he lost it. He would go on long inspirational rants about always referencing the classic hockey movie Miracle. And he would make us watch it once a semester. Well, Austin, I just want to jump in here real quick. Miracle came out when I was in high school, so I don't know how classic it is, but the story huh. of it 
which is about the 1980 Olympic gold medal hockey team. Is, is it a, a classic story. A dr- you know, like a dramatic, a fictional movie based on a real event? Yeah, it was based it on the 1980 hockey? Olympic gold medal hockey team, which is okay. a famous hockey team, of course. Okay. Do you know anything about the 1980? Uh, Very little. They were... A f- in the Olympics, professional athletes can now play. So the yeah. Olympic the Olympic hockey tournament is awesome, a high caliber affair where because it's all NHL players and KHL players and stuff. So but back in it was until I think ninety eight, I think Nagano in Japan was the first time professionals can play. Before that, in the United States, you had to be you couldn't have declared being professionally. So it was all college kids. So we, our NCAA system, like, you know, Harvard, Northeastern, UMaine, UNH manufacture amazing hockey players. There are five NHL players on Northeastern's roster right now. Because they can draft them and then they go back to school. Yeah. But back in the day, it was like basically college kids going and playing like the Red Army, you know, so and like the, the great Soviet team and the great Finnish team and all these like great established hockey teams that had professional players basically playing. Sure. And the 1980 gold men's hockey team, you know, gold medal team beat the USSR professional like beat pro, team of professionals. OK. And that's what Miracle's about. Very nice. So anyway, he says the best part about him was how much he cared. On the last week of school that year, we got the results of our state mandated exams. He asked me to see him after class and he showed me the exam scores and he was even more excited than I was about how much I improved. I never had a teacher who cared so deeply about students before. And it's something I'll never forget. I like to hear stories like that. Me too. That's a good one. Jason Bola wrote in and said, my favorite teacher taught me animation in college. Listening to his stories about how he went from knowing nothing to texturing Garfield to him being gone for part of the year because he was working at Weta always inspired me. Is that how you say that? Wow, Weta, wow. Did the subject taught affect who your favorite teachers were or was it merely who they were as people that makes you think fondly of them? What do you think, Dagan? Because I actually have no, and looking at my list, I don't, I have a couple history teachers on here, but yeah, it really seems to be more generalized than that. I think. How about you? Is it tethered to subject for you in terms of the teachers that are on your list? It's not. I mean, it's all over the place. I have art teachers. Some of the art teachers, some of the worst on my list are also some of the worst teachers I've ever had. So I don't think it's necessarily drawn to that. You could directly link something you're particularly passionate about or interested in, I guess, just into maybe forging an extra special relationship with a teacher who's teaching you that thing. I could see that. You know, I had one I had one teacher in college who stood, I had, I had, a, I had good te- relatively good teachers in art school. You know, I was in a very serious animation track in school. And I had, my, my best teacher was a young guy. He was probably just out of high school. His name was Hayes. Or, you know, he didn't even graduate high school. And this was, the, you know, I went back to, I went to school in the 90s. This was probably the last. You mean college, di- graduate college. He no. Oh, he didn't graduate no, high school? He didn't, this was probably the last vestige of having, now, the school I went to, you have to have a master's degree to even teach there now, obviously. But back when I went to school in the mid-90s, I started in the mid-90s, that this guy didn't even graduate high school. He was just enormously talented draftsman. Very, he taught, he taught character design. So he was a young guy. He was probably not that much older than us. In all fairness, he was probably five or six years older than us. And his name was Hayes. And that wasn't his real name. That's what he wrote. That was his graffiti name. But not only was he a super sweet guy and super, super passionate about drawing and comics and animation and character design, he taught us so much about designing characters you know, looking at character design, not only in film and TV, but in video games and, and comics and looking at old cartoons and new stuff. He was so passionate and taught us so much and taught us about how to, you know, how to exaggerate and how to, you know, design dynamically and all that kind of stuff really took an interest and like any good teacher really took stock in a very selfless way, actually, 
to teach us and impart to us basically everything he knew. It was like, to me, it was like the magician, like literally trying to teach all his tricks in in the most unselfish way. Because art's very competitive. And he also worked in the industry. So we would be the people he would be directly competing with when we got out of school. And that always struck me. Like there was not, he, he, it felt like he was nothing, holding nothing up his sleeve, nothing close to his chest. He taught us everything he knew with great passion. And he, I always remember Hayes for that. I, I don't know. I follow his associate, Eric, on Instagram, who went on to become a great, you know, really a great guy and a, and a big guy in, in the video game world and development, video game development. But I'm not sure what happened with Hayes, but he was really, really talented and really taught us a lot. And was actually, he, he, it always struck me because he seemed like a, more like a contemporary due to his age and due to his, you know, was always very forthright about his lack of actually proper education, but it didn't matter. You know, he was just so good and so passionate. That's what really what spoke to us about him. Guitar Raven 28 wrote into us, by the way, Ravens can't play guitar. He said, hello, brethren. In my teenage years, I attended a private Catholic high school. Okay. Don't worry, it was all boys too. Oh my God, it must have been horrifying. <laughs> While I actually enjoyed it quite a bit, one aspect of my schooling still fascinates me, the religion classes. While the topics of these courses varied, ethics, morality, philosophy, the Bible, etc., the teachers are what I remember most. They were an eclectic group. My first teacher asked me my, asked my black friend if he sees Jesus as black. Another incorporated the show Cops into a lesson. And one hollered, huh. you're wrong, son. Every time I defended Ayn Rand mid-lesson, you probably weren't wrong if you were defending Ayn Rand. Colin, I know you attended private middle school for a bit. What was your experience with religion teachers like? Was it similar to mine? Dagan got any input pra- as a practicing Catholic. Thanks, guys, for the best podcast I know. It's thank actually, you. Is that, thank you, uh, Guitar Raven 28. Keep it up. It's amazing that you can play the guitar. Now, <laughs> Dagan, we can actually bring in religion class into this, too. I stopped taking religion class proper, like r- what they call religion class at, yeah. from church in third grade, I think was the last time I did that. But I did go to Catholic school and I did take Bible class. So. Uh, Every day. And the funny thing about it was, so I went to St. Mary's Academy, Dover, New Hampshire, and maybe it's very, you know, similar to Persona 4, which I've been playing recently. Okay. The different grades were on different levels of the school. So it was three levels. And so it was like fifth, sixth, seventh, and eighth on the top, like third, fourth, fifth, sixth in the middle, and then like K through whatever, second or whatever on the first floor. And there were four teachers per two grades. So... We had like a block of four teachers that we had for seventh and eighth grade. There were four teachers for fifth and sixth grade, and they would kind of swap everyone. There was like a science person, a history person, an English person, and like a math person. Okay. But then all of them had to teach Bible class. This was like a a, a mandatory thing. So you just had your homeroom teacher as your Bible study person. Okay. And uh, so none of the people that I learned it from were necessarily like, they were all practicing Catholics, obviously working at Catholic school, but they weren't taught you know, uh, scholarship of the Bible, right? They weren't, okay. they were they didn't go to school for those kinds of things. So I didn't find it necessarily that informative. And in fact, uh, Catholic school is what made me an atheist. So <laughs> it might, it might've been, that. it might've been, if I had never stepped foot in St. Mary's Academy, there's a good chance I'd be Catholic like the rest of my family. To this you hear day. that a lot. Yeah. And, and your three siblings going entirely to public school. Listen, read the Bible enough and you know, none of that should actually happen. All right. <laughs> we're going there. <laughs> I'm, like, I'm looking, we have many, first of all, I'm joking. You guys know that. I have many fireside chats about Christianity and my respect for Christianity. And of course, Jesus did exist. Although I don't believe anything in the Old Testament actually happened, if you guys want to know. Jeremy Miller wrote in and said, hi, God. Do you believe anything in the Old Testament happened? Do I believe anything in the Old Testament happened? Do you think Moses found a burning bush? I don't don't really think about that often, but yeah, sure. 
Yeah, I, I, I'll take it. Right, I feel like I'm you're a little fr- too. I'm you're afraid too, to say anything else. I think. No, I think I'm. I'm just a little too a la carte in my approach to Catholicism. Anyway, we talked about this yeah, a while ago. Yeah, we talked about yeah, the diner. Visiting. Yeah, but one of our late night diner talks, which is fine. I mean, you gotta do it your own way. But I'm I'm very Burger King when it comes to my Catholicism to begin with, so I guess I have to stick to the script at, at some point. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, you, know? you need to you need to be. I gotta choose the hills I'm gonna die on. You know what I mean? I don't like cavalry. It's not gonna be. The That's old. a little Jesus joke for you. Oh, oh, Jesus! Ew. Jesus died on Cavalry, right? That's where he died, right? Sure. Or Calvary? Is it? Ca- it's Cavalry. Cavalry. C a l v a r y. Yeah, not on Cal. Yeah. He didn't die like like Custer's Last Stand or something like that. that that's not what killed him. <laughs> That's the hill, though, that the Romans killed him on, right? I have no idea. I think I think that's what it's called. Theologist, I'm not. Theologist, I'm not really either. But I have to say, uh, I did a fireside chat that's not live yet and probably won't be live by the time this goes live. And it was with a guy, another Christian guy that came through. And he was the first dude that made me think about some things. Oh, interesting. Got to be honest with you about that. Okay. He left me with some books that I'm working my way through, too. Jeremy Miller wrote hey, in. Jeremy. Said, hi, guys. Hi, guys. His was H-I space G-U-Y-Y-Y-Y-S. Okay. So a lot of Y's. No E's in there. No, why, do you... Oh, so you want to be like, hey, guy, get, I go geez, guys. Geez, guys. 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 Sounds like I was saying hi, gays. That's not what I was saying. Oh, my... Oh, my goodness. God. Oh, my God. <laughs> he says, not sure if either of you have experienced this. Okay. But did you ever have days where the teacher were bringing a TV on wheels and you'd watch movies for that lesson? Absolutely. AV club, man. What kind of movies do you remember watching? Thanks for all the great content. This was another thing where the uh, caliber of the teacher typically was... Uh, directly related to how much that thing would wheel into your room. Although there's one exception to that, which is Miss Parry, who we're going to talk about. Oh, yes. Because she would show a lot of stuff and it was always great and poignant. But typically, I... I you she know, did show a lot of stuff. You're right. She did. Yeah. Especially in my AP English class, she showed a lot of stuff. But the the thing was, typically speaking, is you wanted the teachers that were like well-known for just kind of mailing it in once or twice a week and having you watch like a science video or something and you would just Absolutely. doze off or whatever it is you'd do. I'd go play like Game Boy Advance in the back of the class or something. Yeah, I do. I had definitely have memories of that. There, I was in, a, I probably talked about this on the podcast before. I was briefly, I flirted with a, a very brief period of my life, I believe in sixth grade before I decided I was going to pursue, or maybe it was like a little sidestep where I decided I was going to pursue archaeology because I was very into Indiana Oh, yeah, we Indiana talked about Jones. that during Indy. Very into Indiana Jones. I went through a very, very severe Indiana Jones phase. So I took archaeology club. It was the first after-school club I took after school because I was going to be Indiana Jones. And I don't remember the teacher's name. She taught a subject full-time, let's say English, but she also headed up the archaeology club after school. I don't mean to be mean, but this woman looked as much like a frog as any human could possibly look. <laughs> I mean, she, she looked... What does that mean? <laughs> she looked like a frog. I don't know how else to say it. I don't know how else to say it. Like, that's my greatest memory of her. Like, she looked like she was part toad. It was really weird. I, again, I don't mean to say sound mean, but it's just one of those things as a kid that, you know, it just painted itself in my mind's eye and it just will not escape. You know, and she wore like the high turtleneck shirt. So she like, it looked like she had no neck anyway. <laughs> this is what it was like, you shouldn't be wearing that shirt. Because you're like you're like one step away from the tongue flicking out and getting the fly. Like, <laughs> <laughs> was this a thing that you your contemporaries talked about her looking like a frog, or was this something you no, kept to yourself? I don't remember talking about it anyway. It was just like so striking. Like she looked so amphibian like to me. <laughs> but she was okay. She was fine. I mean, she wasn't particularly sweet or anything. She was fine. But 
that's the first person I remember wheeling in. Like we would always watch documentaries on archaeology. I don't remember ever going on like any active digs. We used to just like learn about it by watching. Things yeah, which is weird because Long Island has a lot of active digs with the. All I the know Indians. you couldn't take us to the beaches. Let us dig. Just tell us it's something important. Just let us dig up some seashells or something. It's too bad they didn't let you go to Old Bethpage and start digging up some of the old colonial ruins over there, huh? Oh, that would have been amazing. <laughs> just and plus, you would think she would like to be close to some bodies of water. <laughs> so mean. Long Island might be a tough place for her because really amphibians are, t- are amphibians don't go in the ocean, right? So she would actually no, be a, like water. she she would actually be like a fish out of water. <laughs> oh my god! I'm sorry, it's so mean <laughs> on the island. It's so mean. By the way, isn't it isn't it interesting? I was thinking about this when I was going through my list, and I don't have access to any of my yearbooks. I think they're at Dad's house, but how you just forget teachers names like i'm like i don't even yes. remember some of these people's names I anymore know, me too i think i can name like seven people i even went to high school with at this point isn't it amazing like it, god it's so strange i was like who is what is that person's name i know you lose it now did you lose the the high school teachers names or further back uh further back is actually easier for me to remember because there are fewer of them yeah by exactly. the time you get to high school and you're literally changing classes middle like so middle school might have been like this for you but like i said we were in these groups of four so when I was in seventh grade in Catholic school, I had the same science teacher that I would have in eighth grade. Okay. And so on and so forth. We were just learning different things. So even in middle school, when you started to exchange classes, we weren't really doing that in my school. It wasn't until high school that I really had a different teacher for every class every, every year. Thing. Okay. And even then I had I had some of the same teachers. Two of the teachers that I would like to talk about are teachers that I had over multiple grades. So yeah, it's it's just interesting how like I can't remember anyone's name anymore. I mean, it's not a huge surprise, I guess. You know, I call before you keep going, yeah. I thought of this a little bit. Now for my perspective and my experience going again reminding you guys i went to public school k through 12 it's reasonable from my calculations it's reasonable to because we were trying to figure out ratios good to bad teachers it's reasonable to think especially if you consider all the extracurricular gym and all that kind of stuff that you you would have 80 teachers i think ish on average so you're talking about maybe like that really does average out to fewer than what, what an eighth of your teachers were yeah, memorable which is amazing like if i have a good four or five teachers that and one of my one of my teachers is preschool so yeah it's it's interesting now how much of it is lost to memory how much are better that we're better than i'm remembering which ones am i forgetting entirely especially like you say like when you get to the thick of 10th grade and you have eight teachers you know literally eight teachers nine teachers when you consider everything Music and gym and home ec and language and all that kind of stuff. But yeah, so that's that's not a high ratio. Not at all. I, I hope a lot of it's due to my faulty memory, but it probably is. Oh, well, I don't know. Jeff Scott wrote in and said, did either of you guys have teachers that you could just sit and listen to talk for hours? I remember my junior high of high or my junior year of high school in 2013. Sorry if that makes you guys feel old. <laughs> My friends and I would spend many a lunch period in journalism teacher in our journalism teacher's room listening to him and my economics teacher discuss current events. They both did not hold the same political ideologies and the discussions they would get into were fascinating for our 17 year old brains. The discussion often got heated between the two and they always came to some sort of conclusion by the time the bell rang. You know what this brought up for me, Dagan, was there were some teachers that I would go hang out with sometimes in high school. Again, teachers that I'll talk about after school just to talk to them or see what they were doing and, and go visit with them. But I always wondered, like, was that annoying? That's like, in, you don't have the high, like, I didn't have the the knowledge of myself when I was 16 to be like, is this annoying <laughs> that I'm here right now? Right. Is this, is this annoying you? Yeah. Th- so, but you do have some kind of social barometer as far as like reading people, maybe attitudes, expressions, 
right? I mean, it's something you're developing at that age. Maybe you, not. I mean, I don't know. I'm, I don't know. Maybe not. You would assume age. you would assume so. But I, I really did was thinking about that because maybe, maybe I wouldn't. Maybe I first of all, I would definitely be annoyed by that. But I also am not a teacher and wouldn't <laughs> be a teacher because I would be annoyed by everybody. <laughs> I'd probably a bit be fired one weekend. You really have to be like at people's disposal. And you have to be at multiple, multiple people's disposal. It's very difficult. Yeah, maybe I'm underselling the difficulty of being a teacher in a sense. Well, not I couldn't un- do it. Not underselling the difficulty. I acknowledge it's difficulty because I don't want to do it. I think what I do is easier than being a teacher. But maybe the pay scale is a, something I have to kind of reconsider because mm. of that. James Kinsler the third wrote in and said one of my favorite teachers in school was named Miss Simons. Now Mrs. Scott. She was my junior year English teacher, and despite having graduated high school in 2007, I still remain friends with her and her husband, my senior year government and economics teacher, now Mr. Scott, which is interesting because that was our uh, government and economics teacher we as well. Mr. Scott. And he was something else. Mrs. Cool. Scott always motivated me to keep writing and reading, and to this day, she is still supportive. We actually just met up last month for a book club at our local Barnes and Noble. Hey, nice. That's nice story. This is a good time to bring in Miss Parry, I think. Okay. So let's talk Miss Parry. Now, it should be it should worth, be worth noting that I had two Mrs. Parrys in high school. You, were you familiar with both Miss Parrys? Yes. Now, they were both good. Forgot about that. So there was a I don't I guess I shouldn't use their first names, but there was a Miss Parry that was like this dark brooding older woman. I totally forgot about this. And I had her for ninth. I had her in ninth grade English. And so when I moved back to the island, I moved back on in ninth grade and I, I was there for high school. There was I, I'm not trying to be like, well, look at me. I belonged in, in the honors courses, but they didn't. That wasn't something they accepted unless you were there already. So you had to kind of like my ninth grade was kind of me and normal courses kind of proving myself. And the next year I was in honors and AP stuff. So Mrs. Parry or Miss Parry, they were both Miss Parry. The Miss Parry that I'm talking about here was my ninth grade English teacher. And she really taught like the shitty kids kind of. And okay. I was in her class that, okay. ninth, that ninth grade year. And I, it was like not I was in a class I clearly didn't belong in. It was like, how'd you get in there with them? Because random. Yeah, I think well, like it was just because I was coming in from Catholic school with this particular Miss Parry. She was this dark brooding older woman. And she was like really nice to me because I think I, I was the only person in the class that cared yeah. about anything. And I remember she introduced me to a few like really important books that I love, including probably most prominently Animal Farm, which I read in one sitting and that's in my top 10 pieces of fiction to this day. Really, really powerful book. But the Miss Parry, the other Miss Parry I had twice. And I think Dagan had her twice too. I had her for honors English in 11th grade and then AP English lit in uh, 12th grade. And she was a really special woman and she was really special to both of us to dig in years earlier and then to me. And she turned me on to a whole nother host of books including, you know, pretty much anything by Vonnegut and all the, all this amazing stuff that I wouldn't have read without her. And so I look at it and I'm like, she's really the reason why I'm so engaged with reading and writing to the degree I am. I was a writer from a young age. I really was a voracious reader from a young age, but I don't know that I would have. I was like into like fantasy novels and I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that shit, but I was into like fantasy novels and Star Wars books and shit. She was the one that's like, that was like literature is like much deeper than this. Like here's, you know, Catcher in the Rye or something. I'm not a, not a book I'm incredibly fond of. But the point is, is that she like opened my mind to there being so much more in the world of literature and fiction than just this very limited shit that I was like really exposing myself to in this liter- little limited amount of writing that I was doing. I was really doing a lot of technical writing and stuff for game facts and stuff like that. So 
she really identified in me like a real writing talent and a real real knack for reading that invoked something in me. And, and I really appreciated that in her. And I think more than almost any other teacher I had, except for maybe this guy, Mr. Bose, who I'll talk about as well in a little while, was probably the most instrumental teacher, not necessarily what I went into because I went to school for history, but just in who I became as someone who really appreciates the written word, who really appreciates fine writing and how much of a gulf there is between bad writing and good writing and how a lot of people, I, I think I don't appreciate this especially still, is how much people struggle writing, which is so weird to me because I can write forever. I can just write and write and write and write and write. It just comes very natural to me, sim similar to what I assume people can solve a math problem or how they understand science or physics or something like that. I understood the written word in that way. And she was the one that really gleaned onto me and, and insisted on pulling it out because she knew I was a little lazy. She would often be the one that told me that she would be, I don't know if she was just filling my head with this kind of stuff, but she would be like, you're too, you, no one challenges you enough. And that's why you're so bored all the time in school. And that's why, you know, you only have a 3.4 average or something like that. And so, you know, when you really should have a four and where you really should be going to Harvard and like you really should be doing that. And she was like, I didn't necessarily believe her in the moment. I still don't know if I believe her now, but yeah. she really made me believe that like you should be going to Ivy League schools. You should be reading a book a week. You should be right. You know, signing up for college now. You should be doing all these kinds of things. You should be doing this. You should be doing that. And I really appreciated that about her. So I'm wondering like what your memories of uh, Miss Perry, that Miss Perry were. Yeah, very similar thing. It's funny. That's another skill, I think, Kyle, that a good teacher brings to the table. As you talk about Miss Perry, it dawns on me that, you know, just having those good instincts and being observant and knowing your students, which is probably not, you know, easy to do when you have multiple, you know, let's say you have multiple classes of 20 kids, maybe you have 60 kids in a, in a you know, at, a, at any given time, 40 kids, whatever it is. To actually take the time to engage with those kids and find out who they are and what they're about and what makes them tick and how they can improve and what they need. That's that that is not only something that seems like a special ability and an unselfish ability, but something that really would take a lot of labor to if you're doing that for every single kid, you know, where you're really trying to maximize how you could help them and how you could teach them. And she definitely had that. She was one of those rare, she was one of the teachers where it occurs to me as far as, you know, doing, she, she taught me one of the things I had her for creative writing and then I had her for AP English. And I don't know if one of my earlier English teachers in high school put me with her, but they must have, you know, whether it was Mr. I don't know if it was Miss Miss Etzel or Mr. Cooper or Mr. Mann, but somebody put me with her. Must have said like, "Look, you should you should have this guy. He's he's a good writer." I was already writing for the school newspaper a little bit, so I was already very engaged with writing. I was probably I probably got engaged with writing in like eighth or ninth grade. So now my first dealings with Miss Parry was in eleventh grade with my creative writing class, and but I wasn't considering as much as I enjoyed writing. And I was recognizing writing as like a thing, whether I was reading like a skateboard magazine or whether I was reading like a Dragonlance novel or a more sophisticated, you know, quote unquote, sophisticated book, a classic, classic work of literature. You know, I was already very tuned into literature with the books that I liked. I mean, I already discovered some of my favorite books of that time, whether it was Watership Down or Lord of the Rings or The Chocolate War, which I was obsessed with that book. 
by Robert Cormier. There was a, like a lot of books where I, w- I was really tuning into reading and writing. And I probably tuned into reading and writing at a very early age, as, as far back as like Beverly Cleary and Judy Bloom books. So I was already very in tune with writing, but I never really thought of myself necessarily as a writer as much as I enjoyed it. And also, I should say, manga and comic books played a part in that as well, as I got a little older, like ninth grade. But she was the one who made me realize, like, you're good enough at this to be thinking about doing this. I know you love art. I know you like cartoons. You want to go into animation, whatever it is. But you're good enough at writing to pursue writing as a as a thing or go to college for writing and she's the first one to wake that up in me which is interesting because I was already interested in writing for a few years so I don't know why you know I it raises the question to me why weren't the other English teachers that in tune to what I was interested in because I was already very interested in that although I didn't necessarily see myself as a potential professional I guess is what I'm trying to say she was the first one to say like look this is a thing And also, she introduced me to poetry as well, which I don't know if I ever told you about. So she introduced me to just poetry as an art form. And it was part of our creative writing curriculum where we had to write short stories. We had to write, you know, different pieces that were more critical pieces. And we had poetry as a part of our curriculum. And she introduced me to poetry and, you know, not just, you know, how to write various types of prose and how to write things in verse and how, you know, how poetry didn't need to be in verse and how you could take what you're interested in and put it into your writing. And she actually took me to poetry readings outside of school. Now, I wish I had better memories of this. You know, I was recently talking about this with Helene. She's like, that's weird. I don't know if that would go on today. It seems like, so she would literally, and she would, she would literally pick me up at the house. Maybe it was on a weekend. Maybe it was on like an evening, a weekday evening. And I remember she drove a black sob. And she would come pick me up and we'd go to various poetry readings, whether it was in Port Jeff or Bellport. And it was all like on the level. It was no, there was no funny stuff going on at all. I ne- it's funny too, because I was old enough to be thinking that way. And I never even thought that way with her. Although I did she think she was pretty cute. Yeah, she was cute. She was really cute. I but think I it, never yeah. thought that. She I was never, probably pretty young when you had her too. She was, I think she must've been relatively young. I was thinking about that. She had to probably be in her thirties. Yeah. I think I had her when she was in her forties. So, and she hoped she might even still be there. You know? I was wondering about that. I was going to ask you about that. Yeah, I'd, li- I'd love she to get in touch. She's one of the few people I'd love to get in touch with. She's great. She really taught me a lot. And she taught me, it wasn't really just teaching me how to write and how to incorporate foreshadowing. And I think we talked about this a little bit before and how to incorporate all the literary elements into your writing and how to build, you know, how to structure a short story and how to build suspense. And we, we wrote horror stories based on, you know, um, t- I remember we had a whole thing about, you know, a whole thing based on Edgar Allan Poe. And it was really cool. She introduced me to a lot of things. But what she really taught me was creativity. And similar to an art teacher that I'll get to in our conversation, had creativity and how to think outside the box and how to really circle something and problem solve in a creative way. And how to come up with the best idea. She literally, her and my art teacher, Al Fight in high school, which I talked about a little bit. I'll talk about him a little bit more today. They really taught me how to be creative. They instilled in me a lifelong sort of a tactic for just being creative and how to come up with the best idea and how to think outside the box and hopefully, you know, how to think of the better idea than the other 20 people in the room or hopefully have the skills to be able to do that. She's one of the people that taught me that. And that's what I'll remember about her. You know, and she awoke, she really awoke in me the writer and it's funny because i had the exact same experience i think i talked about this with you before in college 
where I took a writing, a creative writing elective. We had a certain amount of electives to take. I took like a film, you know, like a film analyzing course. I took psychology. I took a history of animation course and I took a creative writing course. And in that creative writing course, you know, elective, my teacher had the same thing. She's like, I know you, you're an artist and you want to do animation, but you're a writer. You have a really unique voice. Like, I want you to know that. So it was a very, that, those two, just having people tell you that was very powerful because, you know, I don't know if I necessarily had that growing up. Mom and dad were very supportive of what I wanted to do. And every time I wanted to, I wrote something or drew something and they would look at it and praise me and everything like that. But I never really had the person to tell me besides maybe grandpa to say like, look, like you're like pro level at this because certainly no one else was telling No one was telling me that about sports. Right. By the time I was in the middle of high school, it was like, I can't even play baseball on the high school level. Like I'm not good enough. Like I was good enough to play freshman but i'm not even good enough to play junior varsity that type of thing so like that was one of the first that was that meant a lot to me is like wow i'm actually good enough at this for people to recognize this in me so that's where you know miss parry and to take an interest she's the first teacher that took an interest in me outside of school to be able to pursue that relationship outside of school and really see something in me that she wanted to bring out as far as sacrificing her time i never had another teacher like that Especially through high school. Yeah, she was a really special teacher. And I'm sure she still is a special teacher. And, and, and as far as I know, I remember in the years after I graduated talking to different people and, and a lot of people felt that way about her. I, I really think that she really hang like really sits high in a lot of people's memories. Not that the competition was too great at South Country School Districts, but <laughs> well, but she was really she really did stand above. And, and I really do relate so many things to her, whether it's Moby Dick or something else where she just insisted, like you were saying, like. And I appreciated that whether she was blowing smoke up my ass or not. I don't know. But it made me believe in what I and, oh, and she, she wasn't one, that type. She's one of the people that I would I would love to be like, I became a professional writer and I would I would love for you to know that just because it probably wouldn't have happened without you. Yeah, sure. And I wonder if she would what she would think of that, you know, about really touching someone like that. So, yeah, she's a really special woman and, and really one of my very favorite with the exception. She might be overall my favorite teacher that I ever had, but. It might be a little competitive with, with one other person. Travis Plymel wrote in and said, hey, guys, longtime listener, first time caller. When I was diagnosed with type one diabetes, my second grade teacher, Miss McCampbell, that sounds like a made up name, helped me put together a presentation for my classmates to help me explain to them what I had and how it affected me. She did everything she could to help me transition into my new lifelong struggle and coming to terms with the limits and restrictions now imposed on me. Needless to say, she has stayed with me as my favorite teacher, and I can only hope my daughter and unborn child will have a teacher so impactful on their lives. Thank you for your letter, Travis. Thank you, Travis. David Merlino wrote into us and said, I have a handful of favorite teachers, mostly from my time in high school, and it was primarily based on how they personally treated me. My ceramics and photography teachers were so laid back, they'd get stoned in the art supply closet and let the students stick around the entire class, and as long as they weren't getting into trouble. That sounds a lot like our ceramics teacher. One of my English teachers thought highly enough of me to keep all of my poetry assignments, which she still reads to her students. I was never the best student in high school. I'd never do my homework and ditch class once in a while. So I remember those teachers who took the time to get to know me and show some interest in me and my education. And he gives some shout outs. I don't know if we want to use specific names. Maybe we do. Mrs. Folkers, Mr. Woolridge, Mr. Bergarello. Maybe they're listening. And Mrs. Briggs. There will be no shout outs to the school administration. However, thank you, David. 
Sean Mason wrote it and said, as a seventh grade English language arts teacher myself, I was delighted to see favorite teachers as a topic of this wave. In my short teaching career, I've noticed that the teachers who the students consider their favorites are the individuals who are not only excellent at teaching the content, but also go out of their way to establish relationships inside and outside the classroom with their students. One of my goals at the beginning of the past school year was to know my students beyond the classroom, and it paid off. Not only did several students approach me at the end of the school year to thank me for teaching them, but they also thanked me for making an effort to learn about their interests. Hopefully, these students will remember Mr. Mason as one of their favorite teachers. And he asked, did, one of our, did any of our teachers go make an effort to learn about us or our interests? Well, we just talked about that. Yeah. Sean, keep it up, though, because you will go down as one of these kids' favorite teachers if you, if, you, if you keep that spirit, because you remind us a lot of our Mrs. Parry. Absolutely. Ryan Lynch wrote in and said, hi, guys, I have a really distinct memory from first grade. My teacher came to me at the end of the year and gave me an old teacher's edition of a math book so I can go home and have problems to work on during the summer. While one's immediate reaction might be, why would a teacher give me more work for the summer? It was an incredibly thoughtful gift that taught me a really important lesson. School and learning could be fun, not just work. She also clearly recognized something in me, which is a nice thought. I'm a college professor these days. My question for you guys, can you think of a particularly thoughtful moment? where a teacher went out of their way to do something nice for you, or perhaps where a teacher recognized something in you that you may not have realized yet. Well, we just talked a lot about that too. Ryan, the important thing to realize here is that you are a college professor. So some, uh, it's possible that more than one or two teachers probably touched your life. Tony Bertucci wrote into us and said, hey guys, in high school, we had to choose between taking art, music, or drama, and seeing as I had little to no artistic or instrumental talent, I chose drama. That's where I met Mrs. Goodwin, the drama teacher. Little did I know this would change my life entirely. Before meeting her, I had only oh, sung to myself along to Lincoln Park and System of a Down, but never in front of anyone. She inspired me to join the school's musicals, and I fell down the path of being a drama student hard. Now I sing in a band, and I attribute her, having her as a teacher to making me who I am today. So there is that. We appreciate you. Cody B wrote into us and said it was sophomore year in high school. Everyone is nervous for their first day of high school. Our started at 10th grade. The murmurs and chatter was buzzing with who this Mr. Boomer guy would be. Right before the bell for the beginning of class, a man walks in wearing a toga and an olive wreath upon his head. The confusion was only compounded by the cowboy boots and handlebar mustache. Mr. Boomer became my favorite teacher ever. When the time period changed for a new section, he wore a new outfit. Every class period was a blast because the man was passionate about history. He wrote copious notes and, and uh, uh, he wrote copious notes and followed them with boisterous lectures. I love history as much as I do because of this man. And I remember telling him as much on my final senior day. That's nice. That's a nice one. I like passion is everything. It is. And that reminds, I guess this is a good segue into like one of my other favorites up there with Miss Perry, which is Mr. Bose, who I mentioned earlier. I had Mr. Bose for 10th and 11th grade AP European history and then AP American history. And he was the guy that really convinced me that I could do this. Like I could do history as a profession or at least in, you know, collegiately, which I did. I remember I that do, name, I, but I don't remember what he looks like. He looked like he had glasses and like a mustache. Okay. Normal looking dude. He lived in Rocky Point, I think. Okay. He got sick after I had him. I think he had cancer. Oh. But he came back, I think, from that, like to teach again. Okay. But he was a really instrumental guy. I already loved history by the time I had Mr. Bose. I didn't need that from him. But he really was, he really did make me a believer that like this is something that a person can can study and can know and can love and can and can make some practical use of and maybe you become a teacher yourself with it but at least you followed your passion and I always really enjoyed him and loved him and he had a tradition at the end of every year and I always loved this because when I was in 12th grade and I didn't have him I would go I went to this uh, when he would do this and when I was in college I went one year to go see him do this as well at, at the end of like before Christmas break and then before everyone would go away for summer he would bring in a guitar and an amp and play like song, like a song for the class. Oh, that's pretty cool. Whatever it was, whatever it was. And it was like a tradition. So 
like people would gather and like it was a tradition if you didn't have him to still go and you knew he was doing that and everyone it would so it'd be like a whole alumni kind of situation in the room with the kids that he had at that that's time. that's pretty cool and he was just a really sweet really caring dude but if you didn't do your work or you were a dickhead or you interrupted someone or something like that he would come down on you and embarrass you and i i actually like that about at the time it wasn't very pleasant but like i like a teacher that's like not will like that's willing to like you know, court you in a way and be nice to you and, 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 you know, hold your attention and be kind. But if you didn't show that back to him or to anyone else, then you would know and you wouldn't be embarrassed and you would be in the doghouse for a little while. And you didn't want to be there because That's interesting because it, it, like he made you feel it in a way. And I, I remember that so distinctly because you just didn't want that to happen. To you yeah, there was a fear in that class. It was like a total palpable fear. And the other thing you, you were in AP classes. So you remember this is that in New York, we have a thing called regents, which are these end of the year classes that you would or a, a test rather that would be like you had like a regents one and regents two, which are math. And you would have like global studies and American history. I got 100 on the American history regents. And so you had all these things. But our AP tests were like what we were actually studying for. And then it was so funny and kind of embarrassing, I guess, for people that were in like the normal classes for history or whatever, because then after the AP test happened in like early May, then we would study for the regents for like two weeks while everyone else like took the regents exam, like all year they were studying for the regents exam. Yeah, exactly. So I remember him kind of downplaying like how hard it was going to be. And it wasn't hard at all. And we, I think the person in our, like the lowest grade on the regents was like a 94 or something like that. (laughs) So he was, he was just a really memorable, kind guy. And the thing I remember most about taking his classes, both global studies and especially American history, AP American history was, or AP Euro and AP American were the, I learned so much. The, the, what I took away most from him was probably learning so much about Supreme court cases where I can just pull these things out of my ass to this day. Like not like Plessy versus Ferguson or anything like the obvious ones, but like really obscure shit, right? Like not Marbury versus Madison, not brown versus the board of education but these like you i see these things every once in a while i'm like oh yeah i think i like wrote something about that or studied that at some time so that's the thing that that stuck with me the most and so yeah mr bose was a really really special teacher and i guess it makes sense for me to just give a shout out real quick to a teacher that i had in ninth grade that turned me on to mr bose and put me on the ap track for history who recognized something in me which was this woman named mrs roth she was just out of college when i had her i had the biggest crush on her she was probably 22 or 23. And she was a really sweet woman. It wasn't like I had her for ninth grade. So it wasn't like a lust thing or anything like that. I don't think I, I was also a little <laughs> late and bloomer with that, that kind of stuff anyway. Yeah, but I was like really that. attracted to her. And uh, she was like one of those teachers that like w- didn't have a classroom. So she had like a cart and would have to go to class, oh, cl- sure. classroom, classroom and stuff Absolutely, like that. Absolutely. Yeah. And she was just I, I really loved her. And I remember being so excited when she told me like one of the last days of school in ninth grade in ninety nine, I guess she's like, I'm, I, I recommended you for AP European history and you're really you really know history and you really have a passion for it. And I hope you don't let go of that. And, you know, I, I she along with Mr. Bose, I would just love to tell them, like, I did study American history and I, I, I did do it. And look, I got these things tattooed on my arms and it was a passion of mine. And I worked at Massachusetts Historical Society and I was about to get my grad degree and I was going to go get my Ph.D. And a lot of that really started with you two, you know, yeah. so. Yeah. So I wanted to give her a quick shout out, too. I don't she you know, she was a by the books teacher. She was learning what she was doing. She had no idea. I don't think what she was doing really at that time. But I didn't have any idea. And, you know, she taught from the textbook. It wasn't like, you know, one of these dynamic history classes that I would like to think I would teach or something. Right. But she was just a good woman. And I actually looked her up. Oh, you did? Like 
I couldn't find her. She probably got married and probably changed her name. So I don't even know who to look for. And maybe she's like moved and just doesn't. Yeah, work. it could be tricky. She actually moved to the middle school while I was in college. So who even knows what happened to her at that point? But she, I, I had not, I have not spoken a word to her since I left Bellport. And, and I would be interested to know like what she was like, what, like nine years older than me. Yeah. That's when I had her. That's really young. So I would like, we could be, contemporaries like she would be in her early 40s or something and i would just be interested in reaching out and being like hey man you really touched my life you know and, and you might have been told that by other people you really did touch me like in, in, a, in a really unique yeah, way yeah it's so, pretty cool i really appreciated her not only for that moment but also just for her introducing me to mr bose who ended up being so instrumental in my you know just people identifying that you probably don't belong in these these classes because again like what i said at the beginning in ninth grade i had to prove that i belonged in the honors and ap classes because they didn't trust my they trusted your transcripts you're allowed in but like you didn't go to bellport middle school so we don't know what you're you know so you have to kind of prove it so i was in all these standard classes not that there's anything wrong with that but i don't think i belonged in those classes i belonged in those classes with math for sure yeah i took 10th grade math as a 12th grader which is a true story. <laughs> Me too, I think. I took ninth grade class as a ninth grader, and then I didn't take math for 10th or 11th grade, and then I took 12th, I took 10th grade, because I just put it off, so which hard. was a really bad idea. So tough, man. So I'm not saying I belonged in that with everything, but I'm glad that I had these teachers that I at least identified that maybe I had a little more talent in some of these other things than was recommended by this class load that I had that rec- that, that suggested that I really wasn't a, wasn't really a scholarly person at all. So, so I appreciated that out of Mrs. Roth. Dig, we have only a few more to get through. Okay. Or a couple more, actually. Connor Rude wrote into us and said, I'd like to tell you about my favorite high school teacher, Mr. J. His physique and jolly demeanor was reminiscent of a clean-shaven Santa Claus. He was eccentric to the highest degree in his 50s and still a part-time student with 12 college degrees. I like, I've heard of a couple people like that that just don't stop going to college, which is so interesting to me. Yeah, that is like a career college. Yeah, that's always weird to me in the sense of like, why would you, why wouldn't you just get a PhD at that point in something and just like focus on something, you know? At our school, he taught philosophy, ethics, French, German, and was licensed to teach a few more. Our tiny philosophy class of eight people was a tight-knit group and some wild stories to tell, but in interest of pithiness, I'll only tell you about the heartfelt goodbye dinner he treated us to. We were all invited to a small apartment where he cooked us a wonderful four-course French meal complete with a nice bottle of red wine, perfectly fine in Germany. Connor's obviously German. Maybe he's not German. Maybe he's American. He's just saying it's fine in Germany. Oh, fine in Germany. Okay. We told stories, talked about life and our future plans. At the end, he gave each of us quite an expensive philosophy book as a parting gift. And some of us teared up. Some of my my best memories and stories from school involved his classes. And I'll always remember the profound effect he had on me. Anyway, cheers. You too. That reminds me. That reminds me. Do you remember a friend? I don't even want to say her name. Because I don't, I don't want to blow it up. But okay. It was Mrs. It started with a C. She was a European woman who taught all the languages. Do you remember her in Bellport? Mm. I was always impressed by her because she taught French. In high Ger- school? Yeah. She taught Spanish, French, German, and Latin. I was like, holy shit. Yeah. That's remember. incredible. You know, that wow, you'd even really? know languages. Like, why are you even teaching high school? Like, that was like, yeah, kind of, like a, a lot of I languages. remember at, like one, an Italian. She taught Italian, too. Holy Cause shit. Because I, ta- I, ta- I took Italian one year. And, uh, yeah, I was like... Even at that point, I'm like, what are you doing here? That's unbelievable. I can barely speak English. <laughs> and finally, Eddie Bush wrote in and said, do you did you guys ever like a teacher because you thought they were attractive? In my high school, there was a freshman slash sophomore English teacher named Mrs. Costello, who was known to be the hot teacher. She was also a great teacher and a nice lady. But knowing the high school boys, we didn't really care about those characteristics. Thanks for all your hard work and keep up the great content. Were there any teachers that you had a crush on? Yes. Talk to me a little bit about. So that. I had a friend. I don't know if you you didn't. No, I don't know if you would know her. So when I first started taking French in, I guess, seventh grade, and I actually forgot her name. Mrs. Williams. 
No, well, Mrs. Lawrence. Lawrence. Oh, okay. Right. I thought you were. Oh, okay, okay. So, and that, now her name was different before, but she had just gotten married when I ta- when I took her. Now Dana remembered her because we were talking a little bit about her when I was researching for this episode. I forgot a few names. Dana was like, "Oh, that's Mrs. Lawrence. I loved her." Now Dana says that at one point she was very like overweight and out of shape and everything, and she lost like a tremendous amount of weight. She was absolutely gorgeous. Like, she was just beautiful. And she dressed, like, kind of like Dana, you know, would say, like, she would dress in, like, tight pants and, like, high, like high heels. And, like, she was just very, I don't want to say flirtatious, but she was just fun. But what even more so besides her being cute and attractive and maybe the first teacher I thought of that way was that she was the first teacher, Kyle, that I remember being a really good teacher, like, learning a lot from her. It seemed like every, let me put it this way. It seemed like every teacher I had up to that point was either extremely strict or extremely like one of those people that were completely disengaged and just like floating through and like completely just like almost like not like half not paying attention. She was the first one to be fun and upbeat and engaged, but also have a level of strictness as far as like you're going to learn and I'm going to hold you responsible and you're going to have quizzes and you're going to have tests and when you do when you do poorly I'm going to tell you about it I'm going to be hard on you I'm going to make you you know I'm going to hold it to you to do well in this class she was the first one that brought both those things like she felt like a very well balanced teacher she was the first one that struck me that way to be you know she brought it but not in a strict way not in an unpleasant way she was just she was just a really good teacher. She was she's one you know one of the first ones on my list. But it didn't help that she it didn't hurt that she was cute as well. Yeah, I don't know that other than Mrs. Roth, who I already mentioned. I don't know that I had and Mrs. Perry who was cute. I don't know she was cute. I don't know that I had any other teachers that were you know there was a lot of old. Te- I had a well, yeah. I had a lot of the same teachers all of us had. And yes. so you can imagine, and they were old when you were there. So I can only imagine they were, and a lot of male teachers. Yeah, it, high well. school was a lot of male teachers because I remember when. I was a younger kid in elementary school. Mr. Thomas, who you had yeah. at Brookhaven Elementary, was like the only male teacher in the school. And I remember everyone wanted him just because it was weird at, at that time when I was there to have a male teacher. He was the only one. I remember that very clearly. He was yes. the only one yeah. in that elementary school that was a, a boy, like a male. Oh, Mr. Esp too, but he became the principal. Who You also had. I had him as a teacher for his last year. And then he became the principal. Of the yeah, school. he he second grade. He split time. I forget. I forget the other teacher, but he's, he actually taught second grade. He pulled. So he did 50% and the other woman teacher did 50% because he was training for, I think he was training for administration. And then when I was in third grade, he be, he was principal. Yeah. And he was still the principal when I was there too. So, you know, I don't know. He what, was cool. Yeah. He was a nice guy. I remember thinking his name was Mr. S <laughs> until probably in my like mid twenties. That is a pretty unique name. S. Esp. Yeah. ESP. Right, just the three letters. Yeah. ESP. Yeah. Ooh. So, yeah, I don't know that there were any others that I can really think of, because even the women teachers that I had were I was like too young to even remember. Like one of the teachers that I wrote down in here was was Mrs. Rickenbacker slash Mrs. Edwards. Wow, I remember her. She was this young black woman who was my teacher in both first and second grade. And she was probably pretty cute. I I actually like I in my she it, was cute. I think in my mind, I, I think I remember like, you know, you don't really understand it. But you're like, oh, she's pretty or Relatively something like that. Young. Yeah. And I had her I remember being so excited because I had her for first grade and then she was moving up to second grade. And I I remember being like, oh, maybe I'll have her again. There's like this possibility I'll have her again. And I did. I did get her again, which was awesome. There was like a couple of us, like three of us, I think that had her like both years. And so I felt really fortunate about that. So maybe I had a little crush on her or something. Not a crush, but maybe I thought she was pretty, but I don't know. I was cognizant enough of that. Mrs. Edwards slash Mrs. Rickenbacker. (laughs) And uh, 
Just a couple other teachers I want to give a shout out to real quick, Dave, before I, I throw it over to you and we sure, wrap up. Sure. I got to give a shout out to Miss Leone, who was my kindergarten oh, teacher. She wow. was great. And I remember her. She was she was great. And and I think dad, I mean, as of my time in college, maybe after dad still saw her and stuff. I think she might have went to church or something. She was a real sweet woman. And, and her teacher's assistant was Mrs. Moore, who is the mother of one of uh, oh, right. who is the mother in law of my hockey coach back in the day, but also. Uh, the mother of one of Allie's good friends and one of uh, my good friends as That's well. Right. So she was great. Uh, I want to give a shout out to Mr. Vincent, who I had in York, Maine at York Middle School. He was my sixth grade homeroom teacher and science teacher. What was memorable about memorable about this guy? He was a really nice guy. And what I remember about him the most is he had this jar of Starburst in his desk and he would randomly say Bork, B-O-R-K, which is we we didn't think of Bork. Yeah, yeah, that, I, yeah, yeah. But that was his that was his word. It was a it was a Bork, right? Okay. And that was the and the person who raised their hand first when he said it would get a, he would throw a starburst at them. And it was basically just to make sure people were paying attention. So he'd literally be in the middle of a sentence and then you know be like, you know, in the amoeba blah, 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 Bork. And then like whoever raised their hand it was like a game. That's great. So I, I remembered that about him and that was like his whole thing. He was a really nice guy. That's a cool tactic. Yeah. That, like, that will make kids remember you. I, I, I like I liked him a lot, especially because I had other teachers at that time who were fucking terrible in Maine. So he was like the one guy that I really remembered. He being really great. stood out. And uh, I want to give a shout out to Mrs. McGlynn, who I had in seventh grade mm. at St. Mary's Academy. She was from Brooklyn. She was a New Yorker ah. through and through. And she was a really, really sweet woman. And it was really controversial because at the end of seventh grade, she was basically soft fired because she was. Like the, they basically never admitted that they fired her, but they basically like kind of like shoved her out of the door and replaced her with this other woman. And it was it had something to do with the fact that she was like too liberal, not po- politically, but like her teaching techniques like her. She would like let us. It was funny. You were singing on another episode. You were singing uh, Scarborough Fair by Simon and Garfunkel. I, th- she, she reminds me of Simon and Garfunkel because she would play like CDs and records in class while we were like doing our work. And uh, she would play all these things and introduce us to all these interesting books. And she was really religious and really devout. And she just, I think, rubbed people the wrong way, like the teachers or the other teachers or the parents or whatever. And so they removed her. And she was like, I still follow her on Facebook. We still talk once in a while. And she was just a really, really rock solid woman who seemed to, to seem to understand that I was really going through some difficult times. I, I don't know how or why she realized that. She was sympathetic. But she that. was like really good to me. And I don't know if it's because I wore that on my sleeve or she just kind of got that about me or whatever it was yeah but she really at that that was a really dark period of my life and like really dark and she was like this one or one of the really bright spots in my life that I remember like she really was special to me she she's I don't mean to be dark or whatever but if I ever found out in the moment that she passed away she's got to be in her 80s now I would probably go out of my way to try to go to her funeral and stuff like that I don't know where she lives I think she still I think she lives in New Hampshire she was a really that's really a morbid thing to say. I don't mean to insult her by that, but she was she was old when I had her, you know, sure. so makes uh, sense. Yeah, she just really I was I remember being so sad when she was replaced and I remember I wasn't the only one and I felt bad in hindsight the, the woman that replaced her was this woman named Miss McCaffrey and man, we really gave her a hard time and it was, a lot of it was really just taking it out on her and I, I feel bad about that in hindsight like. I don't think I don't think I was ever really bad. It's like something I brought up before. Like there was just teachers with bad reputations or people t- teachers used to get shit talked and a lot of teachers used to get disrespected and stuff. And I I feel bad about that. No matter how bad of a teacher you are or whatever, just on a human level, I couldn't imagine doing that. And I remember her really having a hard time with us 
that year because she was like Mrs. McGlynn's replacement and we weren't having it. Yeah, that's that's tough. That's a tough role for her to be. Well, I think every kid has their moments, though. You know, that's just a growing pain. Definitely. And, and like I told you, we were in blocks of four teachers for two years. Right. So we expected to have Miss McGlynn. Yeah. And when that was explained to us, where the fuck is Miss McGlynn? Yeah. It was like, oh, she's gone now. Ooh, you know, and yeah. it's like, oh, I don't what? Yeah, and I remember there was like a meeting about it that I think mom and others went to. We were like, where is Miss McGlynn, dude? Like, what happened to this woman? Sure. And I think that's when they had to explain, like, basically we fired her. Wow. Yeah. Wow, I never knew that story. Yeah. Pretty mom. Mom probably, ha- you know, it's funny. Mom probably remembers that much better than I do and probably has a lot more insight into that than I do. Mm, because be that was a big controversy, like, at that school that she was fired. Yeah, that's a heavy thing when a teacher is fired. Yeah. And it was a Catholic school, obviously. First of all, New Hampshire, where there's obviously no unions at all. Sure. And also a private school so they can just get rid of her for any reason wow, they want. right it's a pi- private school and uh i want to give a shout out to mr herman mr herman passed away you had mr herman i think too right or he was uh, definitely there he when was you were there. there mr herman passed away right after i had him and I, I wanted to bring him up i had him for computer science and i had him for math my 12th grade math class and i, I brought up in the past that he basically just totally let us cheat i was in that class with mike pope <laughs> who also needed to pass the regents to graduate and he was just one of those guys that he's like you know mike was going to like scad i was going to go to northeastern i think the whole thing was just like all right yeah well, you really don't let's just finish this up. Yeah, let's just get like, let's get you out of here. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And I, by the way, had the same experience at Northeastern. I had to take one math class to get my BA. And it was a math class where they basically let everyone cheat. It was basically like all history and English majors. And it was just we did tests in groups of like five. It was the funniest thing I'd That's ever seen. It was basically just a wink and a nod to be like, just get the fuck out of here. You know, like none of you are obviously are all right brain people. I, I, you have a hard time adding. But I want to <laughs> give a shout out to Mr. Herman because he was a really nice man. And. I feel like we all took advantage of him and I never was able to let that go, especially when I found out when I was in college that he passed away. I was like, that fucking sucks, you know, because this he was. I remember him so well. He was just a gregarious, kind man. And we took advantage of that to to the nth degree. We really did. Now, I wasn't the only one that did that. It happened in both computer science and when I had him for math. Yeah. But everyone just pushed it with him. And. I don't know what he died from, and I, I, I'm sure it has nothing to do with it, but I always wonder, I'm like, man, were people so, people were actually really nice to him because it was like a joke, but I'm, 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 I'm wondering, like, did that, was he affected at all by, like, his reputation or w- w- the way we treated him? He seemed kind of young to die suddenly. He was probably in his 50s when I had him, you know? Like, it was just one of those things where I'm like, man, it rem- I'd never told the story about my hockey coach in high school on this on the show i had mentioned that his son who was the, the son-in-law of my old kindergarten teacher teacher's assistant don't want people to get confused his you know my hockey coach died when i was in high school yeah. while he was my coach okay and my last interaction with him was a really negative interaction and that's something that i always like Think- still to this day makes me so sad i broke down crying at his funeral at his wake wow you know because i was like i can't like it was something st- so trivial like he pulled me out of a game and i was like so mad you know, and I just like fucking busted out of the locker room. Yeah. And then two days later, he's dead. Yeah. You, you just know? never know. And it's like, and I'm like, I remember being like, it brings tears to my eyes. I'm like, I actually said about it now. because I'm like, man, that's that. You know that Mike and the Mechanics song in the living years? Of course. Not to be dramatic. That's for people that don't know Mike and the Mechanics. Mike Rutherford was in the Eagles, just like everyone in the Eagles. Everyone had their own band at some point. And uh, he sang the song in the living years, which is one of his more famous songs. And it's basically about how his dad died and they left it on bad terms and he was never able to rectify that situation and just not leave it like that with people. Right, right. And that 
with with Coach Dunbar, that was the thing where I was like, I can never leave something like this with anyone ever again. Yeah, that's you know. Yeah, the, and in my mind, it probably wasn't even that bad. He probably never even thought twice about it. I, first of all, I was a fucking prima donna. I'm when sure I, played, he did. I was a total prima donna when I played hockey. Number one, number two, like I was really sensitive about me, like me, you know, like my the quality of my play, how people looked at me, right? And it was a very selfish way to play the game at that time, but. So it was probably something like he pulled me out of the game. I was letting up too many goals or wasn't playing well. And then I just like something like that. Yeah, I had a conversation with him after I was, you know, I said probably something, you know, fuck this shit or whatever stupid thing I said or whatever. Yeah. And like left. And then, yeah, two days later, I got a call, you know, Coach Dunbar is dead. You know? Yeah, that's hard. And uh, his son taking over the team was nice. But I and and I'm still friends with his son to to this day. Uh, We still talk you know, fairly often. He actually just sent me a bunch of Bellport baseball shirts with I was so stoked about. Oh, wow. Really? Yeah, because his, his his boys play and he's like really involved in baseball coaching. Okay. And all. I don't know if you follow him on, on. Oh, you don't really know him. So why would you follow him on Instagram? But he's like really involved in like youth sports still, which okay. I think is so cool. And a way for him to Out stay. Connect, yeah. A way for him to stay connected with his dad, who was also very involved in youth sports. And uh, I was I always see his kids wearing all these dope shirts. And I'm like, dude, I would kill for like a Bellport Bulldog shirt, which is our junkyard dog shirt, which is our football team. Yeah. A Bellport Clipper shirt. That's all that kind of stuff. So he sent you those. So yeah, they're in the, they should be there by the time I get back. That's so cool. So it was, it was nice for him to take over because he knew me, but I also knew, and I never even talked to him about this to this day. I mean, this happened. I was in 10th grade in 1999. I mean, this happened 20 years ago. Yeah. I never, still never talked to him to this day about like, he knew that I had that interaction with his dad. You know, he know, he was there. He was in the locker room. Everyone oh, saw he it. He was there. Okay. You know, and I, I always, I don't think he held it against me, but I always hoped he didn't hold it against me because I, I didn't mean any, I didn't know, you know what I mean? That it was going to go down like that. I thought he was going to be my coach for the rest of high school. Pete ended up being my coach you for the rest never, of high school. You would never know that. Yeah. So it was just, it, it's actually making me tear up. Like thinking about it, like it's so, it's probably one of the saddest things that it, like that I carry with me. And finally, I got to give a shout out to someone, you know, very well, Mrs. Goldberg. Oh, yes. Uh, Mrs. Goldberg was a belt. She was great. Uh, she, she was, an, was cool. she, she was an art teacher, but she was a computer art teacher. Yeah. And so I, she was a really funny. She was really funny and really cute in the in, in the way of like she would make fun of us. Basically, like I remember I remember specifically like people would say at the time. I don't know. If, I don't think people say it or have said it in 20 years, but it was a cool thing to say, like, that's off the chain. Right. <laughs> Or whatever. And she would say, like, that's off the meat rack. That's off the rack. Like, like just making fun of, like, that's off the whatever. Like, she would always just make fun of. She was those cool. guys. Yeah, she was a really funny. I liked her. And I think we all had her. And I, what I remember, I had her in ninth grade and I had her in 11th grade. Okay. And what was so funny, because we went to such a ghetto fucking school. When I had her in ninth grade, the computer lab was full of Macs from probably 1988. 1989. No, no newer than that. I, I would I would imagine. I had true. her in 98, 99 using those. Yeah. And then. We we got all these new G3s, which are antiquated as shit now. Yeah. But those were beautiful Apple computers at the turn of the century for people that don't know. Oh, they were and so cool. And so when I had her again, we had like proper Photoshop and real computers and stuff. And it was like a totally, it was the same class, but it was like a totally different world. <laughs> you know, where it was like, we were using these old, like these really old. Like I probably, remember those. The first Macs are from 81, 82. They're not that old, but they were probably right. the second wave of Macs. Like literally the second wave of Macs That's from the insane. mid 80s. Those are the ones I was using when I was there. And so, yeah, suddenly they got a bunch of money and bought a bunch of these beautiful Apple wow. computers. And yeah, so I, I wanted to give a shout out to her, too, because she she wasn't um, she wasn't instrumental in what I did. I was not talented at all. In fact, I was looking at over some of the art that dad had found that I made. It's fucking terrible. Right. Yeah. But 
she she was just a, she like didn't really judge you based on that. It was all about effort, which I think art should really be unless you're taking like a serious art class. And unlike some other, I had Mr. Weedo for for <laughs> who you had as well. And Mr. Weedo died How, uh, as well really? a, co- a couple years after I graduated I high school. Really? Yeah, and he was really young. He was in his forties, I think. When if he, I when knew he died. that, I forgot. You, I think you might have had him when he or he was in school like when he's in his twenties when he when he was teaching when you he were there. He was young, dude. He was in his forties when he died, and. He wow. was a re- you know he was a really sweet man too. He was, he was a, a nice really guy. nice guy. Total surfer dude. Oh yeah, he was. A, well, that's why I was laughing before when they were saying like, oh, this guy would get our ceramics teacher would get stoned. Like Mr. Weedo was getting stoned. Oh my god, he would say it. Yeah, yeah, he he would basically. I, now, but I bring that up only because I didn't put any effort in in that class, and he also gave me an A, and I kind of felt bad about that too because I was in twelfth grade at the time, so I was just like all in the girls and like, that was him. Around. But yeah, he didn't give a fuck. No, he didn't give one shit. Like, he honestly didn't. No, he he really did. Like I didn't try at all. Like I don't. I honestly don't think I did anything in that. It he, was a, it was a ceramics class where like I don't think I actually made anything. He skated. I mean, he was a sweet tempered man, very kindly and everything like that. But and very cool because he was young. Yeah, he had that sort of like right. He had that sort of you you said it that sort of Hulk Hogan blonde. Yeah, he had like long straight blonde, straight hair. blonde hair. And yeah, he Pinned was just straight. He would never. I never remember him. I, first of all, there was a few things about him that I remember to his, you know, to, to the memory of Mr. Weedo in, in a serious way. Number one, I never heard anyone say anything bad about him. No, never. And number two, he, I never remember anyone disrespecting him. You know, at the rare time that he would talk to the class or need everyone's attention, everyone stopped yeah. because he was like almost like a peer where you didn't want to be, you don't want to be on Mr. You didn't want to like be on Mr. Weedo's like who, who was on a bad terms with this guy? Right. Exactly. You didn't want to be on bad you terms with him. You couldn't imagine. No. But I, 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 yeah, I remember him very well just because he and Mr. Herman both died when I was in college. And I just, Mr. Herman was a little more believable, I guess. But I just, when I heard Mr. Weedle died, I was like, what? Like, how is that even possible? I think I had him when he was like 42 or something like that, you know? <laughs> and so, yeah, he's yeah, been, he, he's been dead for about 15 years. I and that's really incredible. I, you know? dude, wow. It's been that long. That's unbelievable. I must've known that at some point, especially because Dana would often tell us different things because she's so connected still to Long Island and her friends there and stuff. But wow, no, I never knew. I know. I never, if I knew, I forgot. That's, that's sad because he really was a young, he was a young guy. Yeah. I don't know what it was. I don't know if he got cancer or some, some accident or what, what it might be. Yeah. You know, overdosed on weed. Impossible. <laughs> Trust me. I tried, but yeah, he, he's, a, he's a memorable guy just because he was like a sweet guy. And, and, and that wasn't, that mentality wasn't very common where we went to school. And I don't I don't know if it's because the teachers just weren't that. I think that a lot of people just I think a lot of teachers just got that shit beaten out of them at Bellport. Yeah, like and that's I, a great point. And I don't think he did. I don't I don't think that happened with him. I, I for some reason it never got beaten out of him. No, he was just who he was. Right. Yeah, and I, really, I appreciated that. Yeah, he stood out. Yeah, he definitely did. Yeah, he definitely. And he yeah, he had the classroom in the uh, all the art class or all the cl- art classrooms were like in the basement. I yeah. remember his room so well. Like Me I remember too. it so well. Me too, dude. Because I think he had a door out like that went outside. It did. Yeah, it did. Which was cool. So you can just like, you know, you probably just leave and you wouldn't even care. But yeah, I wanted to give a shout out to him just because I know he's deceased. And, you know, he was definitely Bellport really rips it, r- puts you through the ringer, whether you're a student or whether you're a teacher. I couldn't imagine teaching there for one second. And as far as I understand, it's worse than ever. I don't think it's gotten any better. I can't see. I think it's only better. gotten worse. Yeah, I can imagine. Like, I think it was worse. For, I think it was like best for you and worse for me. Just in the order that we were there. I right? could I could probably imagine that. Yeah. So I, and I've heard just through the grapevine from people that my that I went to college or, or uh, high school with that have kids that are in that school district now yeah. that it's just worse than ever. Ah, that's a shame. You know, it's a shame to hear it. Yeah. You, Especially with so much money there. It's like, what is going on? There is a lot of money. 
You know, it's just really weird. There is. Dave, who do you want to give a shout out to before we wrap? So these let up? me give a quick let me give a quick shout out to a couple. My first one is actually you know later on, uh, PJ and I skated with her son, and we think her name is Miss Laura. I had to talk about this with mom, but she was my preschool teacher at Kitty College. Now I don't think I've ever regaled you guys with stories of Kitty College on the podcast yet, but I went to preschool. As a three and a four year old, which was kind of rare in the 70s. Now it's actually common for kids to go to two years of preschool. But I went to preschool out in Nassau County. Then I went to Kitty College, which is, I guess that's considered Medford off of Sunrise Highway on Long Island. And I believe it's still there. And this was this. I won't go into a huge story about it now. I'll save it. But this preschool was like fantasy land. It had a petting zoo. Yeah, I said petting zoo. Had ponies. Really? That's incredible. Had ponies, goats, chickens, chicks running around the playground. You know, it had swings, slides. There was a barn, full-on petting zoo. It had a actual biplane, like a vintage biplane on the playground that you could just crawl on. A fire engine, like just a, a decommissioned fire engine on the playground. I believe it had an ambulance. I mean, this place That's was pretty like, cool, man. It had a screening room upstairs with like... It was like Star Wars posters. It was like an actual movie screen with a projector, which I guess projected like 30 millimeter movies or whatever back then. Had a ballet studio and like a dress up area that was like straight up cosplay before cosplay. Like this place was like a dream come true. It was like a fantasy. My kids don't even believe it existed. My kids are like, you're because I tease them so much. But I was Dana brought it up the other day and I was like, Lilia and Graydon don't believe me about Kitty College. She's like, no. It had a full this this preschool had ponies. Like what preschool has that? But Mrs. Laura was my first teacher that I remember and she was just so sweet. Like I just remember her being so sweet and embracing and making me, you know, especially those formative years of preschool, that's when you're first wrapping your head around school. So she was like that type that really made school a pleasant thing and you know, she was the one that kind of paved the way. And made it seem like it was going to be an enjoyable experience, which, you know, I mostly had good experiences, but she was really, really sweet. So she was my introduction, really my introduction to teachers as far as I remember. And then my first teacher call that I remember being really special to me besides Miss Laura was her name was Mrs. Saul. And she was my third grade teacher in Brookhaven Elementary. So we already talked about Mr. Asp. He was the principal now. And Mrs. Saul was the first teacher. Now, this could also speak to, I was talking about this with Graydon because he's going in, my son, he's going into third grade now. And third grade, from my recollection, is when school starts getting a little more tough. It's not just floating through your ABCs and your colors. And if you're a halfway intelligent kid, like you're just skating through it. Third grade was like when you first started reading chapter books and doing book reports on them. Yeah, and multiplying and dividing and all that. Multiplication, division, all that kind of stuff. And she was... She seemed to me, especially in retrospect, thinking back, she had the perfect temperament because she was the first teacher that wasn't just lovey-dovey and sweet. And all my teachers, you know, for kindergarten, first, second, I remember the very, very cool, very sweet. I had all women teachers up to that point, except for Mr. Esp, which I had half the year in second grade. But, you know, sort of like very encouraging and very sweet. But Mrs. Saul was something different. She was the first one to really seem to be teaching. And this, the first one to be holding you accountable, the first one I can remember holding you accountable, like, you know, this book report is not worth an A, it's worth a B, for instance. Like, it's the first time where school started to get scholastic, and she was very, very good at it because she was very nurturing, but also strict enough to make you want to do a good job and to please her. And unfortunately, Dana might remember better. I don't know if Dana had Mrs. Saul, too. Dana, of course, being our sister, she was a year behind me in school. But Mrs. Saul passed away... 
probably by the time I was in fifth or sixth grade, she had cancer. Oh, wow. That's sad. And she, I remember her so well because she always seemed like a slightly version, slightly older version of Annie. You know, she had that freckled complexion with the curly red hair. And she was just so sweet and so cool. And that was the first time, you know, you were talking about, you know, loss as far as people, teachers that you were close to. That's the first time I ever remember feeling like really, really sad and upset over a teacher. That was my first experience with loss with that. Now, I already graduated from preschool. I mean, from from elementary school. And I was probably I was probably in junior. I might have been in sixth grade by the time she passed. But I remember that being very, very sad because she was really, really special to me. You know, I remember her getting me into certain chapter books. Like, she was my introduction to, we talked about, I talked about a little bit before, like Judy Bloom and Encyclopedia Brown and all those kind of books that weren't picture books anymore. She was like kind of my link into that, especially with books. So she was really special to me. And then I had already talked about it on the podcast before my art teacher in high school, Mr. Fight. Now, when I went into high school, I was taking a very rudimentary art track. I don't know what I was thinking. I don't know if I was trying to stay with my friends or if I just wasn't interested. You know, I just didn't want to go into the serious art classes with the drawing and painting. So I was in Mrs. Mallard's classes like graphic design and logo design and all that kind of stuff. And she is the one who put me with Mr. Fight who was like the serious drawing and painting, the fine arts teacher in the school and going into 10th grade, she was the one that said, no, no, you can't be in these classes. Like you're too good at art. This is what you want to do. You have to be with Mr. Fight, which is really cool that she did that. And she kind of paved the way. And he was the one who took me aside in the back room, like the first day of 10th grade and was like, I'm going to like be all over you. And like, was really, really hard on me, but really, really taught me like how to be creative. Besides teaching me, he was a wonderful draftsman. He was a really, really prolific artist himself. You know, like they say, you know, a lot of times the joke with art teachers is is if you can't do, then teach. But he was really, really talented. Like I remember seeing some of his work. It was quite intimidating. But he had a very conservative outlook on art. You know, we talked about him before as far as like illustration and animation and commercial art was prostituting your talent and you need to go into fine art. But he taught me, seriously taught me creativity and how to think and how to circle an idea and how to really think outside the box and get outside your comfort zone and all those things that are that I carry with me to this day. Like he'll, he'll always be a big part of my creativity. He's like a really a cornerstone for me. Now, I have to make you guys laugh with this one. The complete antithesis to Mr. Fight was my elementary school art teacher, Mr. Galantino. I'll never forget this guy. He was the most dour piece of shit. And he taught me, he taught us two things, which I I am sure he was purposely trying to sabotage us. He taught us two things I remember very well. He taught us, remember the big crayons in elementary school? Mm -hmm. They're like the double thick crayons. He taught us muscle power. He He had two sort of credos. One was muscle power. That was holding the crayon as hard and tight as you can and pressing into the paper as hard as you can. Okay, this is what he taught us. This right. is how he taught us how to color. Fine technique. Muscle power. The other thing was even Steven, which was making everything on the page completely <laughs> symmetrical. <laughs> Dude, he taught us this from K through three. This was our art teacher. This is These are the things he instilled in us. I spent through literally the rest of my art career trying to unlearn everything Mr. Galantino poisoned me with. Like, there's no way he there's no way he didn't know he was teaching the wrong things. He was purposely doing that. He had to. Do you think he was just doing it to like 
be relatable to kids that were just stuck in this art class Dude, for two I days have a week. No idea. I remember the art room in Brookhaven Elementary so well. Oh, I remember it so. It's well. right across from the gym, right? Yeah, right across from the gym. Yeah, yeah. So on the outside of the mm -hmm. front of the building, right? As you walked up, exactly. Yeah, on your right side, on your right, if you were walking up. Exactly. exactly. I haven't been in Bell. I would love to go to Bellport and Elementary oh, and just dude. walk around it. But he is a phenomenon in thinking back because it's like, why was he teaching the exact opposite? Like, I had, I drew so heavy-handed all the way through junior high school because of that man. Like, I did not know how to sketch. Like, I'm so, I, I, I try to take a, a sidetrack with my kids with art and just let them explore it on their own because I don't think, you don't want to push too hard when you're a parent. But in my observations, especially with my daughter, my oldest one, you know, I try to teach her how to sketch lightly and to explore and to, you know, block things out and stuff like that. Because I didn't know that at her age. I didn't know that as a 12-year-old. I knew muscle power, like how to draw something as hard, like commit immediately to what you're drawing <laughs> yeah. and press as hard as you possibly can, which is the exact opposite. And and even Steven, like what? Teaching how to make it, like if you're going to draw a tree on this side, make sure you draw a tree on exactly the same side. And the house should be exactly in the middle with the front door in the very center with the doorknob in the very center of the page. Like that is the exact opposite way. To yeah, nothing's art. greater than symmetrical art. I mean, it's, Unless it's a building that is unbelievable to teach that. I'll never I'll never forget that. That's so funny. I don't think I knew anything about that guy. Well Mr. Like Galantino. Unbelievable. He was not the art teacher when I was there. So I'll tell you that. Oh, so he was gone. Already. No, I had a female teacher. I don't remember he her name. He did seem quite old even at that point. I don't remember her name, but we had a female art teacher. In Brookhaven in Elementary? In Brookhaven Elementary, yeah. The Brookhaven Beavers? The Brookhaven Beavers. That's really unfortunate, isn't that? <laughs> and uh, who am I going to end with, Kyle? I have to end with one more, I think. Who was I thinking about besides? Well, you know what? Oh, let me give it one more shout out. My sixth grade, I think I mentioned him before on one of our shows. My sixth grade science teacher. Mr. Santangelo, really sweet Italian man, copper skin, had the curly hair, always very well dressed. But here was the thing about Mr. Santangelo, very cool guy. And he was the one who kind of paved the way for us to, I think we were pretty, we were pretty ahead in, in dissecting fetal pigs in sixth grade. And he was the one who was instrumental in that. He was, he was the one we were doing that with. But here's the funny thing about him. He dressed, now this was the era of Miami Vice, don't forget, when I was in sixth grade. Must have been 1984, 83, whatever it was. He dressed exactly like Don Johnson. Every day, he had like the, uh, what do you call it, the linen slacks, the $200 Gucci moccasins with like the neon pink t-shirt with the suit jacket over it, you know, pastel colors. He, he thought this little squat Italian man thought he was Don Johnson. And not only that, but he was super, super into like drug enforcement. Like he thought he was a vice cop. He thought he was a Miami <laughs> vice cop. And I don't know how else to say it. Like he thought he was a Dade County vice cop. And he would talk about, he was really, he was really instrumental, like very much involved in like, uh, like anti-drug campaigns dare. for youth and dare and all that kind of stuff. And he would talk about it a lot. Like he talked about it just as much as science. Like it was almost like part of his curriculum. But the funny thing about that was he thought he was Don Johnson. Like he dressed exact. I mean, when I tell you he dressed like Don every day, that's what he looked like Crockett and Tubbs every day. That's he was awesome. Such a character. I'll never forget him. And he was, you know, it wasn't that he was a, like a wonderful teacher, but that's what I remember about him. You know, he, he, he sort of made, especially going into junior high school, because that was a scary thing going into sixth grade. And sort of easing that transition 
with the colorful cast of characters that we had, but he was he was certainly amongst the most colorful. Does Dare still exist? I think so. Yeah, we Pennsylvania has Dare plates. You could get those black Pennsylvania right. Dare plates. So that's a big thing, especially don't, in PA. Don't think it's working. <laughs> <laughs> not for you, anyway. No, definitely not for me. But, well, I guess it did work. I've never done, like, Coke or anything like that in my right. life. No, never. Right, right, right. Yeah. Smoked opium once. That was a mistake. Okay. That was an accident, though. Didn't mean to do it. Didn't mean that. No. I think I told that story on this show before. I don't know. Ramon and I went to a frat house at Northeastern when we were oh, freshmen, and we accidentally story. smoked uh, hookah that had, we, yes. thought it, we thought it was hash. Dude, that's And it, a, that's and it had scary. opium in it. That's scary. So I uh, chased the dragon that night. But the, uh, <laughs> but yeah, no, I've never, I've never even been attracted like I've been around Coke a lot, like just people doing Coke and like, especially in college, like I don't know where or not in college, rather like in uh, even in San Francisco and stuff like that. Some some people in college had the money to do Coke, but I always every time I'm around, I haven't been around it in several years, but I, anytime it's around me, I'm like, I don't want to be here. There's just it's not because I care what other people are doing. Do whatever you want. But it's just like I'm not comfortable around. This is like this is like a pretty hardcore drug, even for me. Yeah. Like weed's fine. I haven't done mushrooms in a long time, but mushrooms are fine. Mushrooms are even gonna, about to become illegal, uh, I think, in Colorado, which is awesome. Are they really? So I'm going to be all about that. I was but, listening to a Joe Rogan about, what is it? Psilo- psilocybin? Psilocybin, yeah. Mushrooms. That's I was introduced to psilocybin because there's a song called, or saw an incubus song on science that member mentioned psilocybin. And I was like, what is this? And then I looked at, you know, and that's what I was telling you in Northeastern, we would, we would like get Domino's pizzas and put mushrooms on them. Okay. Like, you know, shrooms, not actual mushrooms. Right, right. So, uh, and then go to do things like the the Pink Floyd laser light show or whatever, you know, whatever Ramon was dragging that me to. That sounds like it goes hand in hand. But uh, yeah, I haven't done mushrooms in a long time. But the but I, I'm I'm just simply saying that I don't endorse drug. I, I Whatever you want to do. I mean, do whatever the fuck you want. But even pills, I get a little wary of. I'm on Ativan now, as I think the audience knows, which is a narcotic. And I'm like, I take actually less than I'm supposed to because I'm so afraid of it, you know? And uh, when I was in college, I took uh, my friend gave me a couple Percocets and I took them and I liked it. And, I, and my, my ex-girlfriend, Laura, basically was like, you're a fucking loser, dude. Like basically to me, if like she's like, if you do that shit, and it was like really? one, it was like one of the f- best things anyone ever did. to You me. did it the, the one time. Yeah. Like she, like I was like, man, this is I, I remember saying to her, I'm like, this pill is five bucks and I feel fucking wasted. And at the time, like, I, I hate to look at it economically, but you're broke and it's like you want to get fucked up. In that's college, I mean, that's kind of, yeah. And she's like, dude, I remember her saying, dude, you're a fucking loser if you do that stuff. I remember, I'll never forget it as long as I live. And I, I it was like the best thing anyone ever did for me because it totally like stopped me in my tracks from yeah. ever even exploring that road. Absolutely. So while I'm a huge pothead and I'm, I'm on a bash by that, and I don't really care what people think about it. I'm a, I'm a I, I, you know, I'm an educated, successful person. I think anyone can do that with marijuana as long as you keep it within uh, the realm of reasonableness or reasonability. Let's I say. tend to agree with what you're saying right uh, there. You know, and, and I, I. A lot of people are like, how do you smoke so much and like function? And I think I am probably in the upper percentile of people that can really do that. I mean, you've yeah. been around me. I smoke a lot. Um, but I knew people like that, though. Like some people, it really helps some. It, people. it does help me. It helps me. It helps me focus. And I think it's probably like Adderall for some people, like which is another drug I never touched. But some people are really in Adderall. And yeah. especially when I was in college, everyone was on Adderall. Uh, really? Oh, my God, dude. Like constant constant Adderall use but for me I never was attracted to it because I never had a problem focusing and I wonder if that was just because I I was I get really stoned and then I really it's to this day and I focus on what I'm doing whether it's I'm really focused on this television show or this video game I'm really focused on writing this script sure I'm really focused on making this edit right answering these emails whatever the case might be so it's always helped me out but anyway I'm just I'm just pointing out you guys can do whatever you want but uh, I highly recommend you don't do the uh, let's say the artificial drugs 
Yeah. You know, yeah. marijuana's of the earth. Now, you can argue heroin's <laughs> of the earth, too. Yeah. But it's not. It's uh, it's opium, but it's, you know, fucked up opium. Process, yeah. <laughs> yeah, process. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So yeah. Uh, any other closing comments, Dagan? Uh, no, you know, I don't. I had other teachers that we could speak on or, you know, anecdotes and stuff like that. It's not that I had so many bad teachers. It's that I didn't have a lot of. I didn't, to my memory, just a lot of them were mediocre. Yeah, I, I, and I think to the spirit of our show, because I feel like the beginning is a little negative of this episode. My fault, not yours. But in the nature of keeping or in the spirit of keeping things uh, in a positive nature, I, I don't think we should like hang too much on the shitty teachers, you know? No, 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 not absolutely not. Mr. Galantino is funny because I don't yeah, know that's, what his deal was. No, that's he funny was, as hell. He, I mean, that seems to me like a person that's purposely trying to like, I don't know what else that he he knew enough to be an art teacher, an elementary school public art teacher. So what the hell is going on with that guy? Muscle power. Muscle power and even Steven. I'll never forget it. Nothing's better than even artwork. Even Steven. Anyone knows that. It's amazing. Uh, all right, Dig. Well, let's uh, wrap up with our closing right. sections here. We are going to do our lightning round versus mode. Kyle, this, these should all just be school-related questions. Well, well they should. To, be, I mean, they, I, I hope they are. I don't know if they are or not. You wrote them. So. <laughs> now we'll try to. We'll, let's try to go fast this time. Well, this whatever, you, I mean, whatever you. Whatever you ready? Want, we'll yeah. try to make it a true lightning round. Okay. Okay. Middle school or high school? High school. Band or chorus? Band. Essay or book report? Essay. Home ec or woodshop? I took both of those in Maine. Uh, oh, you did? Yeah, Woodshop was. I, I made a. I made a ship called the Magitech in sixth grade. Oh, I see what you did there. It, I, I remember writing a Magitech and like very finely wow. paint on it and inside. Yeah, very nerdy. So you're going Woodshop? Yeah, Woodshop. Although I have no talent for either of those things. Yeah. Well, well actually, Home Ec. I'm a pretty good cook. I, I have. I have probably much more talent. With what Home did you make in Home Ec? Do you uh, remember? I don't remember anything that we made in Home Ec. I remember we made nachos was the very first thing we learned to make in home ec like basically taking the chips putting them on a plate shredding the cheddar cheese and putting it in a microwave maybe salsa was involved and then the second thing was cinnamon apples did you make that in home ec no i don't i dude i don't remember anything that i really it was it was in maine and it was a long time i took home ec for years but those are the only two things i remember oh you took home ec more than once yeah oh i took took it it in seventh and eighth I remember taking it in sixth grade. The reason I remember it so well is because in York, Maine, in York Middle School, fifth and it was one middle school, but fifth and sixth grade were in one building and seventh and eighth were in another building. Yeah. They were next to each other. And the home ec building was in the seventh and eighth grade building. So I remember being really intimidated having to go in there. Oh, you had to go in, in with the older kids. Yeah, exactly. In order to take the class. Spanish or French? French. If you could add another language in there over those two, what would you add? What would you like to take? Latin. Oh, interesting. Okay, I almost wrote that. The, the most pragmatic one for me, I've, I actually was talking about this recently with someone is like, I'm not really averse to learning Spanish just because I think it's like actually quite useful in it's the useful. United States. Yeah. yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's probably a little too useful in the United States, but nonetheless, here we are. So we should probably we should probably learn a little bit about it. I, I would just like I go to, for instance, I go to a Spanish or a Hispanic barbershop. Okay. And they're always really nice. They're nice guys. And I'm not the only white guy that goes there, but they're all Hispanic barbers, right? Yeah. And they all talk to each other. And I'm always wondering, that's, I, I imagine they don't know who the fuck knows Spanish. So I, I imagine they don't know, you know, or they wouldn't say things that were mean or whatever. Like, you know, you always hear the stories of the Korean, you know, nail salons that oh, are talking God. shit about people. Yeah. Who knows if that's true or not. But I was just, I always think about it when I'm in there. I'm like, I should just learn. Like, why wouldn't I learn Spanish? It just seems like a really useful thing to know. Yeah, absolutely. But I really don't. It sounds silly because I'm a writer, but I don't have a I don't have a mind for language like for for Learning second language. language. Like I, 
the the credo is that if you think about structuring the sentence in your mind before you say it, then you really don't know the language. And I took French for a long time. And and, and Aaron and I were Aaron's busting my balls about this. I'm like, I know French a lot better than I think people think I do. But I still need to think about what I'm saying. And I still don't know. Like, it's totally like almost like out of my mind at this point. That's a really interesting barometer. I never thought about it that way before, but that's true. I mean, even in college when I was taking, I took it for two years in college, like uh, at the college level. And I was like really bad. Yeah. If you can't see, I didn't take it all the way into college. That's a lot. Yeah. If you can't flow somewhat naturally. Thank God my professors were like patient because I was literally like fucking idiot. You know, especially when like I think one of the classes I took when I was a junior in college was, was all conducted in French. And it's like wow. I, and I'm like, I don't know what the fuck's going. That's like, heavy. You know, it's not like, you know, complicated French, but you're talking French like it's all it's all French. Yeah. And it's like, I don't you got to slow down, dude. You know, I don't know what the hell you're saying. Yeah, that's tough. But, you know, when you're in college, you can't really say that. I found French really difficult. I, I really did. Oui. And it may be that. Oui. 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 All right, Kyle. Health class or word processing? Did you do word processing? Typing? No, we did. We had typing class. Typing. On a computer. You're on a computer, though. No, I, I would say typing or word processing. And I will say that I was sitting next to a guy yesterday on the plane coming here who said I was working on stuff on my computer. And he's like, you are the fastest typer I've ever seen in my entire life. Wow. What? Was he like wrapped in a loincloth? No, a- no. He was. An, we were actually we had a good conversation going. He was a he was a or is an executive at a biotech firm. And we were just shit and talking for a little while back and forth umbrella? he was probably umbrella yeah <laughs> he was probably in his 40s and i was like he kept looking at me like looking over and i could see that and i was like am i bothering him I, i'm known as a loud typer yeah which i'm sure people that all everyone around me knows that i'm a very loud typer i can't help it that's why i don't get a mechanical keyboard i want a mechanical keyboard because i love the way they sound I but click. i think that would cr- drive Aaron fucking nuts <laughs> but uh so i thought i was annoying him that's funny that sound doesn't bother me but uh, he would no. He just was like, man, you're, I got up to go to the bathroom and I came back and he's like, you're the fastest typer I've ever seen. Wow, life. that's interesting. I was like, well, thanks. I you could just be typing complete gibberish. You have no idea what I'm saying. But how, yeah. how many words of minute did you ever test it? Yeah, I did one not not more than a month ago. It was like something absurd, like 125 Holy words. Holy shit, or something that's like that. a lot, dude. Yeah. You could really be like a receptionist. That should be. Hardcore. Be a step up from what I do now. <laughs> <laughs> Where did I leave off? Okay, chemistry or biology? Chemistry. I love chemistry. Oh, you do? I love chemistry, too. I'm, I'm like, obsessed with the periodic table and, like, the elements. I love that it. Is love interesting. It. Interesting. Okay. Uh, chemistry is the one... Si- not, I don't want to say the one science because I think geology is really interesting. Physics is really interesting. Yeah, geology. Chemistry is the one science that I really understood at a mathematical level because I'm not a very mathematical person, as people know. The chemistry... I'm, I'm sure chemical math gets much more complicated, but it's easy enough to understand. Like, it's easy enough to understand atomic weight and all, you know, the atomic number or whatever and all these things. And it's all just it's literal math. It's not like this complicated calculus or something that I have no idea what's going on. Right. Where there's like no numbers in the equation. Right. And right, I'm like, right. what the fuck does this say? It says like FX and then there's like an A in parentheses and then like a line. <laughs> I don't know what that means. So you know, daunting. Yeah. But I, dude, I like I took. No, um, it's no good. I took. <laughs> I took astrophysics in college thinking it was a sh- like it was like physics 101 or whatever. Yeah. Uh, and it was I thought it was astronomy. And I was like, what? I like was immediately out of there. I was like, there's no there's literally no way that this is happening. There is literally literally no way. <laughs> Foreshadowing our uh, a future episode. Uh, yeah, uh, absolutely. Catholic school or public school? Public school. Fuck Catholic school. <laughs> um, gym soccer or gym lacrosse? 
because we grew up on Long Island. Yeah, there was definitely Jim Lacrosse. Yeah, no, definitely Jim Lacrosse. I would, I would. Pre- prefer- my favorite was Jim Baseball because I stole the Jim Baseball glove and made it my own. Is that <laughs> right? Home? Yeah. I don't remember playing baseball in gym. Because they would give you a bag of mitts, and I'm a lefty, and there were like virtually no lefties I in the class. I do remember the bag of mitts. And so I just bag. took. I so I just took it. Yeah. Okay. And then it was mine. You were adopted. You adopted the mitt. Yeah. No one. No one. Literally, no one missed it. <laughs> <laughs> Still, my favorite thing, and and my favorite thing to take in high school gym was archery. I don't my, know how the hell we got away with that. Dude, I, I no, I can't believe that that even happens anymore. And uh, I, I think I've said, told the story. I used to love how people used to shoot arrows into the ceiling because they would stay there for literally, year, literally years. And then they would just randomly apparently fall out. We did point. it indoors. That yeah. was also maybe the, the half crazy part about it. Well, it's like Larry, our stepdad, mom's mom's husband, talks about in Brooklyn when he was in school that they had literally gun club in the, in, in the school and they would in go into the school. basement and shoot rifles. That's nuts. That's cr- can you imagine? Like during school, it wasn't like this thing, like extracurricular thing. Off, uh, it was in Bro- like in Brooklyn, in the in, in the, the basement, basement of the school. That's of nuts. PS whatever the that fuck. That is you crazy. Uh, how how much have times changed? United States, baby. I would still love something like that. There are probably still plenty of schools that do do that. You think so? Yeah. Can now you imagine a school in Mississippi in doing that? A school in Texas doing that? I, I mean, could. I don't. I th- I would think that. They wouldn't, but I'm very uneducated about those places yeah. currently. I would say that it, I, I would be, well, maybe someone can prove me wrong, but I feel like there's plenty of places that would be perfectly fine with that. Let us know if you guys know of this. I don't want I don't want any extracurricular off campus stuff. I want to know if you guys are shooting guns in school. In the building. Gun, it's just, I can't see You know guns. what? Maybe that's a completely insane thing to say in the United States in our gun culture with gun violence in schools. Yeah. But still, I don't feel like, first of all, a lot of that stuff doesn't seem to happen or much of it doesn't seem to happen in gun country. First of all, the set like, you know, Connecticut's not really gun country. That's a good point. California's not really gun country. Right. Florida's not really gun country. It kind of is. But I'm talking about like yeah, the Confederacy. No, I, know you, I know what you mean. You know what I mean? No, absolutely. Florida's part of the Confederacy. So that was also a bad thing. It's very, very good. <laughs> what was my last one? Oh, where'd you like to hang out more? The library or the lunchroom? The library. All right, my friend. We got... The only differences were, well, I went soccer, I went biology, and I went book report. So biology, we're seven yeah. for 10. I found bio incredibly daunting. I, I still kind really? of, yeah, I still find it somewhat, first of all, I think it's kind of boring for a oh, science. that's interesting. I, okay. I really, I, I, I guess, you know, I guess when you get into like evolutionary biology and really deep stuff, that's way above my pay grade. Maybe yeah. it gets more interesting, but I remember taking biology in high school and, and really we, you know, in, in New York, it goes earth science uh, and then it goes biology, then it goes chemistry and then you usually take an elective, whether it's so when I was a senior, I took ornithology and I took astronomy. That's what I took with Mrs. Carpenter. I took ornithology. No, I took it with Mr. Dunton. Oh, Mr. He was still there when I was there. Was he? Yeah. And uh, so, yeah, biology, I remember being really daunted by compared to the others. I was really good in chemistry and earth science was really easy, but, you know, which was basically geology or whatever. Yeah. A lot of it's geology, right? And I find that easy enough to understand yeah yeah but biology I, I don't know if it was my teacher or just you know 10th grade was also not a great year for me scholastically that was probably my worst year ever so maybe that had something to do with it but teacher has a lot to do with it but yeah i was remember i remember when i remember i won't even say his name because i don't want to insult anyone because i didn't really like him that much but mm. I, I remember that the teacher i had was was educated in the south so he would always make fun of himself because he would say things like formaldehyde oh you know instead of from like because like he went to school in louisiana or something okay. where his professors would say it like that okay and I always wondered, I'm like, are you just 
making that Sounds up. Sounds like Matthew McConaughey a little bit. Yeah, right? A little, like, it's a little yeah, yeah. where I was just like, because I remember he used to, yeah, you make fun of himself, but I was like, well, it's formaldehyde. <laughs> and this is Long Island. Thanks. You know, at least that's what I was thinking. Now, how are you with memorization? I found biology to be the easiest because it was pure memorization. Just memorizing things. Yeah, I, I'm great at memorizing things. So I, I really think a lot of it was just that I didn't care you very much. Bored. Yeah. You were bored. With well, 10th grade, I, I, 10th grade was not a good year for me. You weren't interested. 10th grade? 10th grade is the only year I fell below a three average oh. in, in school. Okay. Yeah. I think I, I like not that much farther below. One of my friends in high school who, who you know who I won't mention. It's not Mike, but it's someone else that lived in our neighborhood. Okay. Who, you know, up at the street. Yeah. Uh, at the corner of our street. And sure. You know exactly what I'm talking sure, about. Sure, sure. He was a great guy. I love him. I still talk to him to this day. But uh, he literally in 10th grade, I think, had like a 0.85 or something like that. Wow. GPA. His parents got divorced that year. So he used that as an excuse. Oh, that's tough, man. That's really tough. But I remember that so well. I'm like, how is that even possible? That's yeah. You got to be trying. You got to really be trying to fuck everything up. I re- <laughs> I'll never forget that as long as I live that he was like getting grades like that. He, he turned it around, though. He went, he ended up going to uh, Maris. So he was just fine. Oh, wow. Yeah. Pulled it off. Yeah, he definitely pulled it off. Good guy. All right, Dig. Let's finish with some dad jokes. Oh, dad jokes. I almost forgot. I have them right here. I'll pick a couple of crazy ones. I got to X some out. I don't think I X some of these out. I want to repeat them. Okay. These are so bad. Some of these, it's funny. It depends on my mood and I think my mental state. Like sometimes I think these are really, I think some of these are funny and sometimes I think they're absolutely horrible. But I'm going to take a shot. I'm going to take a shot. Please do. What did the horse say after it tripped? (laughs) I don't know. I don't know. Help. I've fallen and I can't giddy up. (laughs) (laughs) That's a good one. I was thinking of, I, I like, when you ask me these things, I try to run my mind quickly through, like, what it could be, like, nay. Try to actually get yeah, like, one. Try, yeah, I, I never have gotten one, I don't oh, think. Oh, I, I like the jalapeno one, man. You yeah, didn't that like was a, that one? No, did that was a, like, that was a good like one. That one. I mean, they're all bad, but that was a good one, yeah. If you understand my meaning, sorry. All right. <laughs> <laughs> one more I'll read. This is, this is really bad. Yeah. Let's, let's close with this bad one. Kyle, did you hear, hear about the circus fire? <laughs> no. It was intense. <laughs> <laughs> I should have gotten that one. So I'm always so frustrated when I'm like, if I just thought about it for a right. minute, I might have been able to get yeah, it. Yeah, you always kick yourself a little bit. Like, why couldn't I get that one? But I was, I liked those. That was, that was okay. Now, what are we gonna do? Are we, it's one forty. Yeah, I mean, it's up morning. to you. It's up to you. You going to go see the waitress? I want to. You do? Yeah. Are you down? Yeah. Why not? We don't get to do this too often together, so we have to do it. Yeah, and well, I'm sure we'll go a couple more times. So I figure this is the latest. This might be the latest we head over there. So it would be really ironic if tonight was the night where she had. She was fairly cognizant. Yeah, she's and she, recognized us. She's not going to recognize us. I'm just going to spoil that for and you. And told us she's a fan of the show and gives us a free meal. Right. I'm the guessing. last time we went, I don't think we talked about this. The last time we went, we were seated. We were seated in a booth behind these dudes who were blasted. You were talking about. Oh, when, we talked about it on one of the one of the Resident ones. We, Evil? No, oh, no, one of the remote ones, maybe. Yeah, one yeah. of the remote ones. Oh, okay. So yeah, we it was one of the remote ones. Yes. Those don't even. Sense. Those don't even count in my mind because I can't. They count as episodes, but like I. I usually, we don't record like that, so no. I don't even remember what anything I said. I know, for our whole body of work, those are so different. Yeah. I'm not, I'm not, I'm glad people like those episodes. They're indistinguishable. We got a lot of feedback saying, like, if you didn't tell it, tell us that you were a part, we wouldn't have known. That's good to know. But I don't like recording them like that. It's different. It's it's, ju- it's, really diff- different. it's difficult. It's difficult for me to, like, run the sh- I, I I have to look at you. I, I just don't, I don't like podcasting when I can't see people. It totally makes sense. Well, I'm handsome. You are. You're not with this beard. You look a lot like me, so you are very handsome. <laughs> oh, your beard looks good. I was saying you're getting very gray in your beard. It's so itchy. 
I, I gotta I, shave it. I think it looks good. We'll shave it. Do what you want. Maybe, I gotta do it, man. I mean, tomorrow. Whatever, whatever One more makes, day with this thing. Whatever makes you happy. <laughs> Uh, we appreciate all of you out there. Thank you so much for your love, kindness, and support. Remember, support us on Patreon, patreon.com slash Stand for early ad-free access. Also, the ability to submit your questions, comments, concerns, thoughts, and ideas to our show. We also, obviously, for you to do that, let you know about the topics ahead of time. That's a secret to everyone else. We don't say that publicly. So I used to let everyone know publicly what the topics are. No more. It's a secret to everybody. What is that from? Zelda. Which Zelda? Remember, you go into the first Zelda. You go into oh, the cave and the, the the old man. What is he? No, he's like a creep. He's like a, I should know the name of the monster, but he gives you something. He oh, he gives you rupees. I think. Oh uh, yeah, yeah, I know who you're talking about. It, it's like the the goblin looking dudes. Yeah, yeah, yep. Can't think of their names. Can't think Go- of their names. That's embarrassing. Goblin or something like yeah, this. Yeah, yeah, something yeah, like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, something totally unimaginable <laughs> like that. All right, Dave. We'll see you all. We'll see you next time. I'll see you in a moment. I'm, I'm actually looking at you. We're not going anywhere. Uh, but we're I will to see the diner. We're going to the diner, but I'll see everyone else. If I'm not here for you, I'm there for you. Sons of bitch. Sons of bitch. All right. We'll see you next time. Bye. Knockback is a product of and a registered trademark of Collins Last Stand LLC and is recorded in Santa Monica, California and the Philadelphia suburbs of Pennsylvania, USA. The show is produced by me, Colin Moriarty, and was conceived of by myself and Dagan Moriarty, who is also my co-host. You can find me on Twitter at NoTaxation and on Instagram at CLS Moriarty. Dagan is on Twitter at Dagan1973 and on Instagram at DaganLikesToDraw. Knockback is edited by Dustin Furman. Any snail mail can be sent to our P.O. Box, P.O. Box 1233, Santa Monica, California, 90406. As you know, all things Collins Last Stand, including Knockback, are fan-funded on Patreon at patreon.com slash Stand. The following names are at the producer level or higher on Patreon, and we are eternally grateful for your kindness, generosity, and fandom. Carlos Algaret, Morgan Ashley, Taylor Barkley, Sean Battershaw, Martin Beck, Eric Bishop, Mark Boggio, Eli Bosford, Barrett Boswell, Spencer Brand, Miguel Brewer, Lennon Brixie, Jimmy Brown, Jason Budnick, Josh Bushing, Austin Bullock, Andrew Burkhart, Dylan Burns, Chris Buston, Alex Cabrera, Tom Cargill, Patrick Carper, William O'Carroll, Brian Chan, Sean Chandler, David Chestnut, Simon Conception Jr., Brad Cooley, Geo Corsi, Nick Cummings, Daniel D'Amour, Colin Davenport, Mitchell Durkash, Zachary Douglas, Knight Draft, David Ellis, Martha Emery, Liam Fagan, Joe Finelli, Eric Finkenbeiner, Fodios Frangos, Michael Gallier, Chris Galvin, Connor Gashian, Alex Gates, Michael Gates, Salem Ghanem Al Ghanem, Daniel Glassford, Tyler Goodwin, Josh Gravelick, Miranda Grubba, Tyler Harris, Kyle Hagel, Wyatt Henry, Asa Haas, Azan Isa El Ricey, Josh Yeager, John Jameson, Jimmy Jolicure, Joshua Jonathan, Greg Julifs, Anton Kay, Jeremy Key, Antti Kinnanen, James Kinsler III, Ryan R. Kittredge, Jackson Lastiqua, Joe Lawson, Don Q. Lee, Patrick Leslie, Dustin Lewis, Keith A. Lewis, Chad Lewis, Lou and Ray Loper, Colin Love, Josh M., Ryan T. Mandel, Peter Mark, Michael Martinez, Sean Mason, Zachariah McAdoo, John McCarthy, Josh McKinney, Joe McPartland, Andrew Mendoza, Christopher Midling, Alex Moans, Chris Moore, Betty Ann Moriarty, Ryan Murdoch, Adam Nix, Donnie Nolan, George A. Nunez, Grayson Orr, Brian Ott, Jorge Palomino, Daniel Parsons, Marius S. Peterson, Gerald Pennington, Enrique Perez, James Perone, Jason Pettit, Jeff Pollard, Louis Powell, Lawrence F. Prokop, Andrew Ramos, Ryan Reeves, Michael Renner, Peter Reynolds, Shane Rayum, Jonathan Rice, Mark Richardson, Toby D. Riemenschneider, Austin Riley, Petro Rose, A.G. Rowe, Josh Salinas, Jose Salinas, John Scholes, Michael Shanholtz, Toby Schutman, Glendon Cole Simper, Joshua Smallwood, Daniel Strycharsk, Ahmad Tamar, Will Thelander, Ben Thompson, Carl Tolman, Alan Tremblay, Jacob Turnbaugh, Raymond Vargas, Michael Vecchio, Oakley Waldron, Justin Wagaman, Connor Walton, Isaac Wastman, Damon Weathers, Mike Wayant, Corey Wyatt, Tony Zaniga, Hugo's Desk, Organic Produce, Casual Misfits Gaming, Supershot ST, Homeworld Hub, Throw 7, Nick C, Infinite, Mad Mock Media, Fabian, Mubarak, Richter86, Andrew, Ian, Chris, Dav9834, Donk2015, and Gavin.